This episode of the Best Damn League Show period is brought to you by Esports Bet, the industry's leading crypto odds matrix. They are running their World's Prediction Series Contest Season 2 right now. As you can see on screen, 10 million USDT prize pool. It is free to enter. You go to the site, you sign up, they give you some DJT to make bets with. If you can get high enough up in terms of DJT, you access these prizes, enormous prize pool, hundreds of thousands of USDT to be won, and it's free to enter. You can just go there right now. And if you want extra chances, if you also deposit crypto to esports bet, they will give you a 50x bonus deposit of DJT. So if you were to put $100 worth of crypto onto the site, then you would get 5,000 DJT to play within this contest here. Right, this is going to be another episode of the Best Damn League Show, period. And our guest, that's right, it's another episode with a guest. Because I'll make up a lie. It's not really the reason why, but it's going to help because there is that whole week that you have off LEC, bizarrely, where they do that thing still. We're in the split. They just have a week off. So whatever. This way we'll go super deep on what just happened and then we'll have a week off and we'll all come back. Hope we saw. Our guest for this one is, you can either say Seal or CL, who is the assistant coach or whatever you call that position at Rogue. Because A, Freddy122, which never appears on camera. I, I actually did interview him when he used to play in LEC in like 2013 or something. I'm not joking. You never, ever see this guy on camera. So he's, we found one person in Rogue who's in the coaching staff who is willing to actually come on a show and give us some of their thoughts. So Seal, first thing I want to know actually is this. Like most people, like I alluded to there, because the coaches have a rogue which isn't super front facing most people don't even know who you guys are like I noticed you never even get mentioned it's nearly always just about the players and the players playing well or winning games or having a good split or choking in player no one ever seems to ever mention the coaches have except me like I'm the only one who's ever brought up as an angle so what I wanted to know actually is like what is your take on like the setup of rogue like for example is rogue a team where do you get to have a lot of input in what you do in your job within the team is the coaching staff do they control everything do they have a lot of power what's it like within rogue what can you tell us yeah i mean i would say that we have a lot of freedom to do what we want to do with the players right um uh but it's not as hierarchy like it's not as set as you would imagine with, with the team the team dynamic like uh freddie gives me a lot of freedom to do what i want a lot of the time um and so it's really more of an open forum of ideas where we where we share and exchange what we think the best way or best approach, you know, for the team is in the moment. So yeah, um, I would say coaching staff definitely have a lot of responsibilities. Uh, uh, from my experience, a lot more than some of the other teams. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I just get to do what I want, basically. Which is nice. So no one gets confused. Obviously, if they go on to Leaguepedia or Gamepedia or whatever, where they see like all the team sheets and stuff, they're going to see that you have a Korean flag, right? Yeah. From your accent, you are just ethnically Korean. You didn't, you didn't like grow up in Korea or something, right? You're not like a Korean coach in that sense. In case someone wonders, like, oh, the imported Korean coach, like you're from the oceanic scene, right? Yeah, I am from the oceanic scene, but uh, I mean, I grew up in a Korean household. Um, I actually moved there when I was a child, like four years old, but oh, okay. I, I frequented Korea like once every couple of years, once every year kind of thing for a couple of months. So I definitely say a lot of that culture and, and ideology um, does impact the way I coach. That being said, um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd call myself more Australian than, than a Korean for sure. Have you got any of the strictness though? Do you believe in sort of a, a harsher yeah. hierarchy? Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Um, I mean, it, it, coaching is, is really a collaboration, right? You have to do what, what's best for the players and what's best, what works best with uh, the staff as well, right? So something that I think is really good is uh, while Simon gives me a lot of freedom to do things, at the same time, as the, as the kind of leader of 
the, the coaching staff. He also makes sure that we are all on the same page and that we're able to deliver a, a well thought out kind of system to to the boys as well, right? So, so um, yeah, I'd definitely say that I'm more on the stricter side, uh, probably uh, a little bit more than Simon because of my background. But the, the way we present to the players has always been kind of uniform and, and well thought out, I, I would say anyway. So, yeah. Anyone's confused, Simon, is Freddie because he's oh, yeah, Freddie. people where Sorry. for some reason they pick an actual real first name and then you yeah. go, Oh, you must your name must be Edward. Then they're like, No, how would it be Edward? It's like scrap Nick, like brilliant, yeah. Poor players as usual. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, yeah. Well, come on, Dom. Do you have some questions about rogue coaching staff? Because like I say, we never ever get to find out who the fuck they are or what they're even I, like. I don't know anything about them. I don't know how they conceive of the game, what they think about the splits. Like it's a mystery to me. Yeah, I mean, I guess I think I would have a coach, uh, a, a comment or just a question about the uh, the how coaches come from OC, because we see a lot of coaches actually from OC That's in true. the scene. We see a yeah. ton of them in NA. Um, you know, Swiffer, for example, is one of the most historic OC players of all time. Uh, people don't know he was on Chiefs. He was the mid laner of Chiefs when oh, they long, were long time mega veteran. Yeah, yeah, yeah mega veteran. Um, I think eventually he played for Order. He's the coach of SK. And we just see a lot of, of OC coaches. And I think the, the funny thing about that premise is that when OC always came up as a region, it was a region that actually had pretty decent mechanics because the server was located in Sydney. So you have like people with like, okay. you know, 15 ping, 16 ping, something All right. like that. Oh, that's interesting. Um, okay. Yeah. And like, like if you know the way that Australia is set up, pretty much everything is on the East coast of Australia. Yes. There's like Perth, but like no one's from fucking Perth. Yes. All right. Like no, no one from the scene is at least from Perth. You know, everyone's just from, you know, Gold yes. Coast, Brisbane, Melbourne, uh, Sydney, all that stuff. Um, so, it was generally considered a region with good mechanics, some like up and coming players, but like no macro, you know, like they were the region that was like, oh man, what are you right. doing? You're throwing it Baron every single time. It was just like the hardest region to watch in terms of that. And now we see a lot of coaches actually go and like teach their macro to, to other regions. So how do you actually up your level of like knowledge when you come from a region like that? Because obviously within OCE, macro is like a meme. Uh, I mean, I, I think that OC specifically was a really top-heavy region. I mean, it still kind of is. Um, I mean, for sure, our, our macro is <laughs> not very good, right? But I would say the OGs were a little better in the sense that they, they started off in, you know, Season 2, Season 3 when uh, the NA server was a thing, right? So a lot of the yeah, legends... in OC ping? Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, like, they were actually quite intelligent about the game. If you speak, about, speak to them even nowadays, like, uh, I would say Swiffer is, you know, very... I mean, I haven't spoken to Swiffer so much, but I have played with Radia, for example, for a few games, uh, and some of the older names, and uh, Swiper as well. And, and I'd say that they are quite uh, intelligent about the, the way they think of a game, especially the OGs. Nowadays, with all the talent kind of moving out of OCE, I would say it's really uh, like much to much left to be desired, right? With exception mm -hmm. to some of the older pros coming back, but for sure, like I think, I think while we were lacking in, in the macro sense, I think a lot of the OGs uh, are definitely good enough to to coach macro, and uh, from a lane sense, even more so, right? The way they kind of systemize lanes or think about lanes, um, and I'm the type of person that actually believes that you know ex professionals will take over the majority of of coaching in, in the next ten years. Say ninety-five percent of them will be replaced. That this is almost an extreme view, but this is just kind of how I see it. Just because of um, the, the the knowledge in terms of the game, and if they're able to transition that with the right kind of personality, you, you met Swip, uh, Swiper, right? For example, right? Yeah. Uh, this kind of guy, if, if he's if he's with players, he's able to kind of provide them with the right environment and, and the right way of thinking. And it's not just the macro stuff. I mean, if you are an ex-professional, you you know how 
like how it feels like to have to play on stage, right? Especially the older Chiefs guys because they played in the the um, international wildcard tournaments, right? Sure. This is before my time. Yes. Um, but where I come in, I'm a bit I'm a bit of a unique factor because I'm the only coach that wasn't an ex professional that's ever made it out of the region, um, and I'm also the only guy that's made it out in uh, one year, right? So in my first year of coaching, I directly got an opportunity at the Golden Guardians, and um, Ah. Uh, so yeah, so so I mean, I have I have a bit there, but um, sideboard. Oh, he accidentally he accidentally oh, just looped right, in some so, I don't know if you know oh, yeah. this, but Dom famously got in trouble last year because he called out it was fucking what is oh, who was I'm thinking Inero. In Aero, there we go. The yep. famous longtime Golden Guardians mm-hmm. coach. Just, Dom called him out, said he was like nepotistic because he'd hired a lot of coaches from Oceanic region. Well, like I'm, I'm what is known in these streets as an OC hater. Just, so, just yeah. you know, full disclosure. Okay. All cards on the okay. table. Okay. It is what it is. Uh, so, why do you? Guardians, uh, jokes aside, why do you hate on them? Like, why do you? Why do you not like it generally? Uh, just because I mean, I played. I like. I went there for three months. I played in the. Re- it was like the most dog shit server I've yeah. ever played oh, on. Like, okay. it is like okay. disgustingly bad. And then like everyone has an ego ever like the whole oh, server right. is super racist against chinese people it's like if you have a chinese person okay. in your game it is fucking going okay. down like yeah. they're gonna fucking start spamming and shit like so i just like didn't enjoy my time there you have just have a really just like just it's not even really a scene i mean there's like 40 minute queues when you get to high yellow every single game even in like the the, the highest rated games like in, you know the peak times where you think like oh it's prime time scrims are over we're gonna get some games like 40 minute 40 minute cues and i just like thought the players were dog shit i mean it just is what it is like he said it before before we were on camera seal was like yeah i remember when you came to oc you were super washed and you got rank six so like that should tell you if i'm like if i if i was playing the worst league of my life and i was ranked six that should tell you about the fucking server right there i mean Um, to be fair that guy pabu was some sort of a professional there and he has a fucking peanut butter and jelly sandwich for a brain so what do you expect right I mean, but I mean, okay. So, nice. so the Golden Guardians thing. The reason why why uh, I Come laughed on. at the Golden Guardians thing is because it seems like Golden Guardians just loves OC coaches. And Anero got a huge break in OCE where he coached the Tainted Minds team that ended up exploding. Yes, people don't know history wise. Was a big drama as well. Yeah, yeah, it was a big drama. I I dated the manager of that team for cool. years, yes. so like I I knew all the intricacies of what happened. There's a reason um, you were in Australia, right? Yeah, that was the reason why I was in yeah. Australia. So I I know the intricacies of that scene. And it just seemed weird that, like, if OC coaches were were super good, why just one team with one coach or one coach that had experience in OC that knew a bunch of OC players, like, everyone would just come to him. Because he had, like, he had you, he had Jachus, he had uh, Spooks, Swiper. Uh, I believe Swiffer was there, actually, for a while before he he went to Europe. Maybe, maybe, maybe I need to be corrected on that. I'm not exactly sure, but it seems like there's been a lot of OC coaches that have went specifically to Golden Guardians. So, I mean, it just it seems very awkward when it's like, okay, so there's one guy that's been to OC, and then suddenly every coach that, that is OC, like, in NA is suddenly on that team. So that, that's why I've always thought the Golden Guardians thing um, was a bit funny. But I guess I, I would ask you from your perspective, like, why do you think that these players were not able to even succeed within the OC region because you had the majority of those players on the same team right before they came to, to NA. So you had, you know, Swiffer, Spooks, and Swiper all on that team. Like, if those are three great minds and the OC region is, you know, really, really lacking in terms of skill, why do you think that that, that core was able to struggle if they, like... I mean, I think there are always exceptions, right? I think there are, there are, there are for sure exceptions, right? Um, so, I, I mean, I definitely understand... I, I, I'm a bit different because I'm not going to come in here and just defend the Oceanic server. For sure, there's a lot of issues like the long queue times, the average low skill level, but there's always exceptions 
to the rule mm-hmm. in terms of talent. FBI uh, was always good. I mean, I mean, FBI was crazy good. I think, you know, Swiffer and Swiper, I mean, I wasn't, this is before my time, right? But even just speaking to Radio, when I first started to get in the scene at 2018, 2019, this guy was a, a finance guy. Right, he hadn't touched league in years. He just comes in and hits challenger like this. Not just because the server's easy, because he's really intelligent about the game, right? So, um, I, I would say that for people you know, that don't know, Radier is yeah, like yeah. one of the prodigies of the region. He was like considered yeah. the best player by far in the region. He played AD yeah. carry for that Chiefs team with Swiffer, Spooks, and Swiper. So the thing yeah, is, like, it's not. It wasn't there. just him. I, I think they were all kind of on the same. Uh, maybe Radio was a bit high into, as a player or reputation or whatever it is, but the, the main thing I'm trying to get at is I think that there are really exceptions to the rule from my personal opinion. And and I can be transparent with this because I don't really have a friendship with these guys. This is not something that I'm doing out of nepotism. I'm not defending them because I had a hmm. connection with them at all. It's because I know for a fact that uh, those people could have played in North America if they wanted to. They could have left the region. And part of the reason that they stayed was because they had a real sense of patriotism and a sense of uh, camaraderie, from my understanding, amongst those players, right? The old OG Chiefs roster that went to that won multiple times in 2015, 2016. So, I mean, these are players that I think when you were playing Dom, they definitely could have played against you if they wanted to, right? If they could have yeah, come when to I your went region. to OC, like they were still pretty good players. They were like yeah. I, I, I used to say and, there was 15 good players on the region, and mm-hmm. it would be like pretty much all of Chiefs, all of Direwolves at the time. So it was like Sure and Fire King, mm-hmm. those guys, and then there was like like uh, like five random players that were in high low that I just thought were good. Like one of them was Jimmy Prowler Wu, who's like one of the memes over there. Everyone just like, this guy is just like insanely toxic. He's just yeah. one of the, the funniest people. I mean, that's why he smiled the second I said the name. But like, yeah. I, I thought that th- those players were some of the top 15 best players, but you know, it's still like bus pairs relative to OC. Well, I mean, I can say, I can say transparently with this again. Like, I, I mean, t- to get onto the narrow topic, I don't think that he's just hiring his friends. For me, um, if you hire some people that you know that you can work well with in terms of personality and you're able to build a, a very solid set of coaching systems, for me, I mean, I don't see why not, why why you wouldn't hire these people now. Um, are there a lot of other talents out there that maybe are being missed? For sure, possibly, right? But if you're in charge of a project and you just need some really solid minds, I mean, I, I can't see why you, you can't hire these people if, if you think that they help you perform at a higher level, right? That being yep. said... Um, I mean, with, with these talents, like, like, I, I actually think that even when they retired, they could have come back to the scene and played, and they would have shit on, I'd say, eighty to ninety percent of the server, right? So mm-hmm. I, I'm really stressing the fact that I think that these these people are exceptions; they can be considered legends. Okay. I think they played in other regions to start off with, and and they talked with a lot of people that were in other regions as well, which just made them fundamentally better, right? Yeah. That is the thing. One. I don't give a flying fuck about Oceanic League of Legends. And yeah. two, there's an LEC show anyway, so let's talk about LEC. Right, let's talk <laughs> about Rogue again. Right, so one thing people might not know is you did, you weren't in Rogue until this year. So you've only been on this particular roster. So I'm actually interested in that sense because obviously the main thing people have talked about narratively about Rogue is like the swap between Inspired and Malrang and then like Trimby's development and then like what happened. Like, you know, that, it's more like these narratives of like the angles. What I want to know is like, what do you think your impact on Rogue is? been like what have you tried to bring to this version of rogue in 2022 rogue i mean i mean i think um i think i'm a bit of an all-rounder so so part of the reason i got exported to begin with uh, and given an opportunity is because uh, it sounds like he's like a fruit or something like i mean almost almost, right i mean i'm I'm a bit of a commodity so like it's because (laughs) in 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 the chiefs uh, i played uh i was a gm as well right 
So I actually did a lot of like some of the accounting stuff, like uh, looking after that. Like, I, I mean, was I did a lot of. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Did you just say that you were like that? That you didn't that you didn't actually have like any type of relationship with those those players, but then you were their GM, or was this like when they're on order when the when Swift, when the no, whole no, 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 no. Um, this is 20, 2020. So this is after Swift. Oh, okay. Swift. Like, oh, I, right. I, I haven't. Okay, so okay. sorry. So so All my right. first gig, my first gig was as a as a GM. So I think you know, given my diverse background, I have a skill set. A little bit of a skill set everywhere, right? So working with people, like managing interpersonal relationships, um, and I also understand like the the intricacies. Or I think I'd like to think the intricacies of management and what they need, right? And then on top of that, you know, when I was first starting out, say 2020, 2021, I really started working on my lane coaching. It's not so much the case anymore, but it allows me to kind of, uh, I'd say, go into the niche uh, fundamentals behind like how they should be playing, what wave they should be crashing, how fast, for example, like lead clears and into three camp, or do they want to not show position? Are they warding wave four, five? Like these kind of intricacies, I think that I cover and I help a lot. And obviously I also have like the translation aspect, but that's not particularly why I was brought there. I think that for me, um, I play a role in that allows the, the existing coaching staff to be better, as well as kind of integrate all the remaining members and kind of bring them together and help or help bring them together um, a little bit more uh, seamlessly, you know, through removing things like the language barrier and working on on um, lane stuff and 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 specific things. How do you uh, how do you actually become good enough at laning or just knowing mm -hmm. about lane to be able to coach it without actually having like laned at a like I said like a pro level for example? Because obviously yeah. you know like LEC is going to be even higher level than <laughs> than North America, right? So like it's going to be generally really good laners that are going to have a lot of knowledge about how these lanes should play out. So, I mean, I guess that was what my original question was getting at. Like, how do you level up past the, like, you know, restraints of like what you're able to do within your own you know, ecosystem? Did you just watch a lot of VODs or like, how do you actually develop that skill? I mean, for sure. That's, that's something that I couldn't answer before. Right. Because we kind of got off track, but um, I would say that it was, it was a lot of trial and error. Um, a lot of, I mean, uh, just kind of throwing out my pride when I first started, for example, I remember um, going to Fudge. He had a lot of things that he disagreed with me on before I was professional. And instead of, you know, having some pride and being like, you know, <laughs> you're wrong or whatever, I went to him and I said, okay, why do you think that I'm wrong? And whatever words was exchanged, I still just kind of swallowed it and went to him and said, look, how can you help me? And, and that's really kind of been my mindset the whole time. So with that with a combination of playing a huge amount of solo queue games, I'd say throughout 2019, 2020, um, I played like 4,000 solo queue games a day, uh, 4,000 solo queue games a year while working full time. So it's really just an insane amount of workload plus VOD plus having like some um some adding uh, adding some systems so that like these things are replicable for example and then kind of talking to top coaches as well so it was a combination of a lot of things i think lane coaching or just laning in general um at the pro level just it doesn't just come from playing as a professional in fact i think a lot of professional players lack the the the, the systems aspect that helps them be consistent or keeps them at the very top for a long time right that coupled with you know studying traditional coaching methods studying efficient learning paradigms um and some of the academic things it, it kind of gives me a holistic view on on what uh is needed in in a game and, and how do you how do you improve and how you actually can be better and with the niche the things i also take a lot of inspiration from things like poker and, and the whole idea of a game tree right gto um and finding the right solutions that way so so for me it was like um 
a bit of a rare case because I think I had a lot of people that helped me on the way. Like I've talked to King, I've talked to Fudge, I talked to you know a lot of the top coaches when I was going up, and just uh, things as simple as you know messaging T Peter Dunn and and, and or, or um, you know Mac even right, and just exchanging ideas and things like this during interviews even right. Um, all these little things add up to being able to create a very solid set of systems, ideas, uh, and a way to look at the game. Yeah, Sounds being like a cloud nine coach oh. with the systems. True, yeah. <laughs> Dreaded systems. Yeah. By the way, there'll be. I'll, I'll give people a little spoiler. There will be some shows in the future. I won't say the context. You'll <laughs> have to wait and see. There will be a show at least in the future where more info might come out about that whole LS case. And spoiler, you're going to be mad underwhelmed when you find out what the systems and stuff are like. It's not. It's nothing great. Like that whole thing. Essentially, everyone looks bad in that scenario when you know the story. So anyway, right. The seal. The question I have is this: as I alluded to, being as we can't ever actually talk to Freddie One Two Two, let me ask you this question. Right? Who is he as a coach? Because one thing I find very interesting is this. Usually, actually, head coaches tend to have like a general philosophy of the game, and most of the teams they coach adhere to that philosophy, and that's how they make the player. Whereas the very interesting thing about Rogue, even though it was before your time, the Rogue lineups, it not, it's not even about the players. They've had totally different playing styles. If you look year to year to year, actually, like they've gone from at one point they were only good in like the fucking early game. Then before that, they were just the scaling team. This year, maybe they had something in the middle. Like they've been through all the Style. So who, who is Freddie one two two? What type of a coach is he? What philosophy? How does he think about the game? How would you explain it? Yeah, so so Freddie obviously has his set of ideologies and how he views draft and how he views the game. Um, obviously, I can't talk about that too in depth because I think that's a competitive advantage in this field. Or just generally, uh, like things like scaling and stuff. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, he he tends to view the game in much in a much more um, lane orientated style. And actually, in, in that regard, there's a lot of things that, you know, we come to disagreements with in the coaching room, right? Um, which is which is fine as well. But something that <clears throat> I think really sets him apart is that he he lets, he gives a lot of freedom and trusts the people that he hires to do their jobs. And he inputs them at the right, he inputs these ideas in the right moments, I think. So in that area, he's definitely like a really solid leader, I would say. A, a little bit more on the quiet side. And he's not going to go out for fame and like put out on Twitter or whatever he wants, but whatever, you know, you guys are thinking with you know, the more traditionally well-known coaches like Yamato or, or, or like Mac, for example, but he will like do his job. He will understand what the strengths of each player and what the strengths of the co coaching staff are and utilize them very well. And I think the big success, uh, a lot of the rogue success comes down to that, right? It's not just him scouting, for example, Marong. It's like utilizing his assistant coach, um, Boomigan at the time, who's now coaching Ago Rogue and he's 11-0. You know, he did fantastic in EU Masters as well. Like, Bloomigan's, for example, a very, very solid lane coach and a coach, right? He's a very top level. If people don't know, that guy was the one of the coaching staff of Rogue the yeah. whole time, even before they had these players they have yeah. now from the ERL team, yeah. Yeah, so for sure, like, I think I think the, the, the strengths of um, of Simon and how he is as a coach is that he, he trusts the people he hires. He has a very set, solid idea on how he wants to play the game. And uh, he just gathers ideas and then kind of puts puts them out there right uh I, I, like gathers ideas and puts the ones that he likes and then kind of he knows how to filter them out in the right way i would say and implement them so that's just kind of how i see simon um yeah but i would say that the, the general success of the rogue team doesn't just come down to him like before i'd say in 2021 the fact that he used isma very extensively who's the who's a performance coach of vitality for example i heard really really good things about him from my conversations with bloomigan he seemed very knowledgeable and, and i think that they utilized him very well as well right and in 2022 i mean i think i've been utilized quite well um and it's only getting better with time so yeah I, i'd say that's how he is as a, as a coach
Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a couple questions. So just to to go back um, before we started this, like, so you, if you were playing four thousand games uh, a season, was that something that you got to like relatively high rating, where you yourself was like were like competing against some of the players, or like was that just kind of like you would go into the games and kind of like experiment, like play multiple different roles and just try to get as much out of like you know each experience as possible. Well, I got to diamond one in, in every role, uh, but in Oceania, you get you, you still get some GM cues uh, and shell cues. So for sure, like uh, once in a while, I'd get some cues with them, like some games with them. Um, but yeah. it wasn't at a pro level for sure. Like nothing that I could put on my resume at this level, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's enough where I can implement some of my ideas. I kind of understand the the idea on uh, idea of like how to say. I, I get a better feel for damage. I feel like in review, yeah, and and how things like play out. And uh, that that helped tremendously. Now nowadays, I don't think it's as necessary because if you have that experience once, a lot of the time you pick it up very quickly. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, in, in that sense, for sure, it helped. Sure, it helped. Here's the analogy so, I would give, right? When you just said there, like that, you get the feel for the damage. That's the one area. If you've never played the game at a high level, you will never be able to access. It's essentially what yeah. the experience of playing is like. Because the analogy I would give is MMA. If you've ever watched UFC, right? If you're a pleb, you're not totally wrong. Like, for example, you might be watching and going like, this guy's doing a bad job of, like, stopping them kicking his legs. Like, you're right, correct. That's that's actually correctly. You've identified his problem. But what you don't know is, unless you've ever been kicked in the leg by someone who does Muay Thai kickboxing, you don't know how incredibly painful that is. And that, that will fuck with your mind. So, for example, that guy isn't even able to think the same way you are. Like, you're talking like you're watching a chessboard, which is what we all do when we're observing, and you're just making the perfect choice. But the premise is, when you play the game it's not just decision making is it? it's about how you're feeling and what that felt like and if you think you can go in and you intuit a feel for if you can re-engage or it's like i don't think people realize that aspect of the game that's why that's why coaches don't directly coach the experience of the player it's more like i say they do the observation of like here's a general tendency or here's a concept maybe that you were missing i mean you know? I, I think uh, just to add to that i think I'm, I'm i think i'm i have a pretty good idea a lot of the time but part of coaching even if you're ex-professional and you played at a high level you will be wrong in a lot of situations so it's about kind of understanding and admitting when you're wrong and uh, and really teaching players or creating an environment where uh it's easier to give and take criticism right mm -hmm. so so say for example i'm breaking down a team fight i'm saying you have to take this pixel and mark this guy and then we want to send four people through here and this is kind of how we want to play through akali where like akali you know by space you know for example then in some situations i might be wrong because i might miss a nuanced thing or they feel or they see something that i don't while they're in the game right and those instances yeah. i just have to be quick to adapt you know so of course yeah, like or based off like items like that might be conceptually yeah. correct but like somebody might be strong enough to just mark the akali and take it out of the team fight so yeah there's definitely yeah. nuance i mean i think that the, the thing i was getting um to there is i wanted to ask you the age-old question about coaching which you know people have debated for a long time like do you actually have needed do you need experience playing at a relatively high level in order to be a, a good coach in your opinion, to be a good league coach in your opinion? Okay. Okay. I want to just go no filter. I think, as I said, 95% of coaches will be replaced by pros. And I said that because I think that like in most cases, yes, I think, uh, you know, coaching, it, it can be a learned skill for sure. And there, there can be exceptions to the rule. If you, you know, work very, very hard or, you know, you have the right personality for it. Right. Um, I mean, if, you, if for example, if you watch Yamato's interviews in in um, Euphoria, you know, he he, he mm. briefly touches a topic where he says that he doesn't pretend to be the expert when it comes into the game, right? And a lot of the cases, you know, having that kind of figure in a team can be extremely helpful. So so no, in the sense that there can be 
exceptions to the rule, but yes, in the sense that I think it's tremendously helpful. And if you want to be a next level coach, kind of like a Peter Jackson figure in, and uh, what's his, was it Peter Jackson? It was, Jackson. Um, uh, the, Phil, Phil Jackson. Jackson. Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson. Sorry. Peter Jackson's the, uh, the, the, the Lord of the Rings the, the, guy. Yeah. yeah. Lord of the Rings guy. He's so, talking about Phil, the NBA coach. Phil, yeah. Phil, Phil yeah. Jackson. Like, 11 he rings. Has, yeah. He has yeah. his idea of, you know, how the basketball should be played, but he was also a player himself. Right. And that helps tremendously. That being said, you also get very successful managers like Mourinho. So, I mean, is it is it hundred percent like necessary? No, but do you need to be really something else? I think yes, right? Or you'll just be replaced because there'll be a guy that's better than you at it, right? The problem I have with this topic is I feel like people yep. make it this binary what yes or no thing when to me it doesn't make sense. Like for example, you notice there's a massive difference between I was like the best soccer player and I just played some form of professional soccer, right? Technically, they're both, I was a pro, but that's a massive difference, right? If you notice, <laughs> as far as I can tell, Dom, the historical thing, even from sports, goes like this. As a general rule, you should have played the sport, but that's also because, and this is the part I feel like is missing, because if you weren't someone who was a pro, then what were you doing for the last 10 years? So that's the question, right? If, like, maybe like the Marino example, if you don't know Jose Marino, who's one of the best, Jose Marino, who's one of the best, like, soccer managers ever, and been all the way around the world, won the Euro Champions League and all sorts of stuff, right? He's someone who wasn't, like, a top professional player. I think he actually didn't even play as a pro. I think he was, like, a, maybe he was, like, an up-and-coming player, and then he never made it as a pro, and he just immediately became, like, a coaching staff person quite early mm -hmm. on in his life. But the point is, it's not like he was doing nothing in his life and working on a building site. Then he was 30 and went, I think I'll give Spain a coach and go. Like, he was a lifer. He'd been putting in like 10 plus years and he learned the game by being like part of a coaching staff like he started as like the bitch coaching staff guy then became like an assistant coach guy to a legendary coach by the way Bobby Robson then moved his way up like that so the point is this guy it's not that he was sat doing nothing and then he was like I will now attempt to know the game it's like he was studying the game from the outside essentially so what he did is he put in his 10 years of studying the game instead of 10 years playing the game and like I say on the last point when it comes to playing the game the reason why tons of the coaches that are legendary have played you'll notice they're nearly always the fucking role player though they're never like i was the superstar player of like the nba team or the nfl team they're, they're almost never that so to me that implies that even if you were a player it's the players who spent more time thinking and studying who become the good coach so i think you can do it if you weren't a player it's just like he says that's probably going to be the exception to the rule yeah it's Definitely probably not often you're gonna have some guy who put 20 years and he didn't play like but i think you i think you can sort of get you here's the key thing as well i think you'll be a different type of coach if you were a pro you can just be a different style of coach obviously because i've always thought the most overrated angle as well when fans talk about the idea of you like teaching the player you're not really teaching him how to use his cue you're teaching him in what scenario he might or what else it can affect on the map or and things that like have nothing to do with the pro experience like what does it have to do with your solo cue experience as a top laner if i just explain like actually if you just wait until this third wave here when it bounces then we can do this like that's got nothing to do with that guy's solo cue player like that's like that's stuff yeah. that absolutely you can study like it's chess guy yeah in fact well, I, think that, I think that well, at least for me i think the, the issue with that is that the le league is so complex that like it's gonna a lot of stuff is gonna come down to like how many minions you have like where the where the enemy jungler is and i feel like sure. generally if you don't have like that high level experience you won't be able to quickly like do the little like math equation of combining all the factors and come to the right conclusion as to like what the best option is because you're not like you're not able to to really see the value of. Each you mean one the of sort of things. like intuitively calculation of like I just feel that this is what's going to happen now or something from experience uh, I assume right? Yeah, well, it's more intuitively, but then also just being able to to like put yourself in the position of the player okay. and then like see what he's seeing. So like, sure. 
you know, maybe if he misses a couple last hits, then the whole situation changes. It's not like uh, crash the fourth wave and base for Sheen and like cheater recall for Sheen with gangplank because you just don't have the money for it or something. So like a lot of these situations, I feel like change and what at least my experience when when I was a player, which was a long time ago, but we still had the same formula where you'd have people that were high level players and not high level players coming to coach you. Um, was that the players that weren't or the coaches that weren't high level players before they wouldn't be able to like see the intricacies like you would have to really spell out to them like why you couldn't play out a situation the like ideal way or something. Yeah, and uh, actually a lot of matchups play differently, right? Even at the highest level, like if you haven't played in a bit and you don't have the if you don't have the kind of experience of learning the game, I would say, mm. you, you miss a lot of these intricacies. So for example, you know, Callista Renata versus Senna Tom Kench. With a small patch, this this matchup can change on whether or not you can push wave one. For example, you know, X champion gets his E, e nerfed, you don't have control wave. Like there are a lot of intricacies to intricacies to the game. But that being said, something where I kind of um want to add to Dom's point, where I kind of disagree with him also is because it is have you seen Mourinho coach, for example? He's not really a football no. fan as far as I know. No, yeah. no, I, no. I'm, I'm, I don't know enough about If you gave a Phil Jackson example or like a, you know, Popovich yeah. example, I'd probably know more about Well, Marino is a really interesting point, interesting factor, uh, interesting kind of example for me because he's not a top level professional. and But he knows how fast or how well or how athletic his players are in a given moment. So he will actually pull up a VOD, right? And I did some studying on this myself, you know. He'll actually pull up a VOD of them training and he'll be like, you're being lazy here. You go hard, fast, you pass the ball and you, you go this way, you know, you don't give the space. So he has an idea and a feel for the players that sometimes maybe even that they don't, okay. they might not see. So I think it really just depends on the person, right? Um, and, and another thing is just also, I think a lot of players actually um, struggle to stay at the top, not just because they are getting washed or they're getting old. Like ageism is, is kind of a myth in esports. If you actually see the studies based on it, um, they say that in the the early, in the late, you know, in the late 19, 1990s you know, to 2000s, when the internet was just coming out, the average age of the gamer was much higher. So when the industry first started in South Korea, for example, the average age of the players were much higher. The, the, the ability, the hand-eye coordination was just a lot less developed. That's why, you know, um, you know, 16, 17-year-old pros that started off back then, like Flash, for example, you might be aware of him, right, Thorin? He's still around. He can still compete with the top pros. It doesn't matter. So, I mean, it's not just age. I think it's more to do with the way they think about the game, the way they break things down, the way they learn, right? And they cannot adapt to certain matters. And you see this all the time with, with prof professional players. So so is it is it just, uh, I mean, does it help to be a professional player? Of course. But is it certain characteristics that make a really, really good coach or a, or a world-class coach? In my opinion, yes, right? And certain time, as, And in certain cases very rare cases, I think non-professional players uh, have this kind of eye or have this kind of uh, knowledge or feel let, for it. Let me, let me throw in a point as well that I don't yeah. think is ever brought up, which is yeah. this. Everyone talks again. Like, you notice even when we were talking about pros there, we made it like, did you play a pro? For how long? In what region? In what context? In what role? Because here's the problem I have as well is, yes, absolutely. If you have someone like fucking Mithy, some like legendary pro who was even known for like being genius about the game. Yeah, of course, they're going to, from both playing experience and thinking about the game, be on another level. But like, if it, here's what I would say as a pushback, Dom, is if League 
it's really important to be like really smart about the game and all that. Then how can people be 17 and in their first year ever, a la Giorgio, just go to the top of the game and be like be playing with people who've played for seven years and who were top pros? Because the game can't just be about decision-making and information burn. There's also you know, just a raw mechanic level. There's just aspects of like, you can just, you can, someone just hits a heater yeah. for six months, they just get better and better and they're feeling the game, right? So yeah, I, I would think, say I clearly the, the game isn't as cerebral as people always make out, I think. Yeah, I think that that was that over time, there's been just less information given to you in the game. I think that's been one of the stylistic changes that Riot has tried to do, whereas like, you know, they hired the time on trinkets and they made it so you didn't have trackers knife and they've tried to make it so that there is an aspect of, uh, you know, uncertainty in, in the game. And that allows for players with really good intuition to kind of stand out. And I think that's also coincides with when Korea, who played the really like control, like vision, vision, uh, just vision control style of League of Legends. As soon as they, uh, you know, had these patches where they didn't have as much vision, they started to fall off and LPL started to become better. So I definitely think that it's not as much of a science as like, you know, I, I think that 2016 was pretty rough in terms of getting into the game because it was like so many 2v1s and it was impossible to experience yes. 2v1s in solo queue. So you would have these like very intricate 2v1s where the, the meta would be defined, like would be refined down to the part of sharing each minion in the jungle each individual yes. monster would have to be split in a certain way in order for people to level at the same time and that would determine if you could defend a dive or not or if you could actually catch a wave at, at the turret so i think that there was definitely times where it was more um Main swaps obviously were another one that was super hard to pull off yeah yeah of course yeah no that's part of light swaps but yeah i mean i think that just, oh yeah see what you mean right yeah okay. yeah yeah so i think that there's just um like it just depends on what time you're you're coming in but i also think that um like in NA, it's a little bit different, you know, like where you'll have players that come in and they're like 17 but, or like Danny, who's like 12. But then it's like, so when did you actually start playing the game? They're like, oh, I was like six years old. So it's like, oh, wait, yeah. so you've been playing for 11 years, just like the rest of right. us. You're just really fucking young. <laughs> like that's just like you sure. started at, at, a, at a very young age. But I mean, yeah, I definitely see, see uh, the point. I don't think it's like, you know, it's necessary for you to have wealth of experience. But I just think that it's something that from my experience has just helped. Like, at least I can tell even right now, like the more I play, the better I will be at watching the game. Like when I'm co-streaming, oh. I'll be better at co-streaming the more that I, I actually oh. play and I have a feel for the champions and I like, you know, know their exact damage outputs and I can just see like what players can do. So I guess that was just my overall point. That's all right. That's why to me, the big thing is a different type of coaches to just have multiple of these coaches on your oh. staff. You can have a guy who's a pro, you can have a guy who wasn't a pro, right? Yeah. On the LEC topic, I'll tie it into what we were talking about now a little bit. Uh, seal which goes like this so as dom said once upon a time part of the reason korea actually ruled league of legends in my opinion is because the junglers were just ahead of everyone else like the way they jungled was they perfected it like around season seven they had mastered how the jungle worked in the game whereas obviously as dom says the more things they changed and the more uncertainty they included actually seemed to sort of fuck with how koreans processed the game how they what their system would be as it were so i have a question for you because along those lines right if you're someone who is interested in like poker game theory and like how you like systems approach. What do you really think of your fucking jungler, mate? Because some of Valrang's fucking early game ganks last split. Like, mate, if I was making a flow chart, these are some I would never attempt. Some of these are really ballsy. Like, if they work, yeah, it looks amazing. But if they don't, like, holy fuck. I mean, it's, 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 go on. I mean, some of them were for sure like intuitive. Um, but I think a lot of it was, and I've actually held this close to my chest for a long time, but I haven't been able to like tweet it, you know? It's because. I personally, and, I've, and I said this in Rich's show as well, I think that a lot of European laners are boosted. Like, I think they're like really bad. So yeah. if you, 
incorrectly managed right there. OCE coach says EU players are bad. Boom. Just no, the thing is, like, if you look at junglers as well, that like the majority of Western junglers are herbivores. Like, they don't actually know. Like, they think that timing a camp, 2.15, now you do your raptors at two minutes, you're back there, 4.15, on the dot, you clear those raptors. Amazing. But what they don't understand is after a full clear, you have to wait at two minutes, 15 seconds. And then if you're two levels up on the jungler and your champion, or the meta doesn't dictate, uh, the meta doesn't give you a champion that can 1v9 games against, for example, other champions. So, for example, like, if you look at the Astralis game versus Rogue, right? It's very hard for Lulia to 1v9 that game. It's very, very hard. Right, um, in, in my opinion, in my opinion. So, so if you, you know, if you just full clear, compared to other laners that can just side lane with TP or push lanes deep, and it overall just get more resources and scale better, and they're just better champions in the current meta, then these junglers can't actually carry. So, I actually think that a lot of what Marang was doing was abusing the fact that a lot of jungles were just herbivores. They weren't punishing bad lanes. They were playing for themselves when they really shouldn't be. Right, and and also the fact that a lot of these laners were mismanaging their ways, finding bad base timing. So, I mean, can he full clear? Of course he can. Of course he can. But guys, it's not hard. It's really not hard. You just full clear down. You know, you finish your you know six camps at three or five or whatever. You do your crab three fifteen. You ward wave four five to find the enemy jungle. You take another camp and then you base, or you stay one more clear if you want like a half item when you're playing something like Carthus, for example. Right, it's really not hard to full clear. Right, it's really not hard. It's more so that he sees. A lane that should base. So I'll, I'll give the Callista Renata an example. Okay, if if Zenatarm overstays in the lane in bot lane, right? Sorry, if Callista Renata do not base around wave four five, even though they get pushed level one because they have control of the wave, no. Uh, if they don't base, then Zenatarm will win because they'll just out sustain, right? So say you just mismanage a wave and you don't get pushed, right? Or say you take the wrong skill, you know, as Lucian Nami versus Callista Renata level one, and you don't take W, you take Q. And you lose, you lose full control of the wave, and they can crash an extra wave, and they get a better base or something like that. You just mess up something in the lane; it just completely ruins your game, and, and your position is completely different from where it should be. Right? A lot of these situations are replicable, and what happens is Malang just gets into a game. He says, "Oh, okay, you know, this guy should be seventy percent HP, and his wave should be at his tower, but he's now super overextended with one ward um, when I'm bot on this timer, and I know enemy jungle position. Why wouldn't he go?" Why wouldn't he go? And I'm watching these Twitter analysts be like, oh, he's just a gank AV style, blah, blah, blah. No, of course not. And also mathematically in solo queue and in regions that are, of course, like much more passive, maybe not so anymore because of the durability patch, but at least in spring, right? Um, catch up EXP is a thing, right? So the, the, biggest, the biggest value behind jungling back then was actually getting your laners ahead. It's still kind of the case. Right, just because in the mid game they're able to more efficiently and mathematically gather more resources than your jungler. That's just how it works, right? So where there's some questionable ganks for sure, right? Where there's some very um, questionable uses of turns like tempo, and then he didn't base at the right time. Of course, he, he's a he's a human being. He makes mistakes. But the reason we're winning games in a lot of cases, or the reason he's able to win these early games, is because he's just a better player. I'm sorry, that's just the case. And the only person that I saw that was doing like a very, the, basically the same thing, but no one was talking about was Jankos. And, and to me, that was insane. Like if you actually look at the way he plays, it's very similar, right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think I think the difference for me, at least watching both of those players, is it mm -hmm. felt like Jankos like had a lot more intention in terms of like when, you know, something like when a gank wasn't available, you know, like it felt like he he wouldn't get lost where at least I would see a lot of times where Malrong would just like start a herald like four or five times in a row. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. like 
the Herald is not like, oh, like your, your, your bot is not here yet. Like you need them to, to do it. And then the, he would just be like wasting a bunch of time. So I would say that that's like the reason why I had Yankos as the number one jungler and Malrong as number two in spring was because I thought that in those, like when, when things went well, you know, both of them are getting kills, but I would think, but when everything didn't go according to plan, it felt like Yankos had more like knowledge about, you know, when a play was over and, and he would just move on to the next thing where it felt like Marong would be like a lot of stick. It would be kind of sticky with some plays. You know, he would want to want the gank to get off. So he would like sit in a bush for like a little bit too long or he or like the Herald thing or the dragon thing. Like I felt like there was a couple times where he would go to an objective and just like leash it, get it to half life. Other jungler would come force him off. He'd back off then he'd start it again. And it was like, man, I mean, this for, is sure, just like for sure, there were, for sure, there were lots of like questionable things for sure, for sure. But at the same time, I would argue that I think a lot of stuff that he does were also really creative. And in some, like in a lane, lane centric draft, because I mean, do you agree that the draft is very, like the draft dictates how you play the game, basically yeah. at the highest level. Mm -hmm. With us, I think it puts a lot of pressure on Malrong because he needs to be extremely creative and take less resources in a lot of cases because we're very greedy with, um, or I would not say as much anymore, but we're very greedy with like our lanes because I think we have very good laners. And it's just plays to our strengths. So we're also yeah. very good at negating these punishment windows. And it just means that Marong has to be creative and move around the map and, and cover these timers as well. So, I mean, like mm -hmm. in one way, you could say that, you know, he's, he's blundering a lot. But then if you actually look at his overall performance throughout the entire split, I think that he was a good league above a lot of the junglers in the league. And I think there weren't random ganks. I mean, for sure, the, the Herald thing and some things, they, they are legitimate points. But it wasn't as uh, severe as people thought it was. And yeah. I, I mean, I, no, I, remember... I never was one of the people that said that he was bad. It was more like he was like yeah. not the best. He was like second best, you know, I mean, and that's how at least how I viewed it. I mean, I remember coming in and people saying that we were going to come sixth, you know, but I, I, I looked at our, I remember looking at our first scrims and we didn't play that. We played pretty bad, actually. I looked at the very first scrims and in the first two days, I remember messaging our general manager and I was like, OK, we're going to come top three. I can just tell like instantly. Like, how? Can, I mean, how? Like, you can just see. You can just see. Uh, you can see the potential. You can see what people do. And and uh, lo and behold, we, you know, we yep. did quite well. Quite well, I think, right? So, right, yeah. Let's I, do this. Dom, yeah. what we'll do is I want to get your thoughts on the last week of Rogue. But here's how I'll set it up. So, I'll basically, I'll, get, I'll, I'll give a little bit of my thoughts as the intro. It goes like this. You know, I mentioned last week that technically, if you look at who they've lost to, it's actually fine who Rogue have lost to. Like, these are some of the teams that would have been questionable to potentially lose to anyway in the split. And so, because they'd won all the rest of the games, they're actually back on track. As you see now, they're tied for first place again. Like, in theory, the split's all corrected. We're back to, they're going to be a top team. But here's the difference, though, Dom, is if you actually look at the quality of the wins they have, that's where I have a problem. That's where I want to start this discussion. Because, mate, they just 2-0'd this last week. They could have gone 0-2. And when I add in that fucking mad throw from earlier the split, they could have the opposite record. They could be 2-5 and five right now. And that's not even hating. Like, there's the difference. Rogue is technically tied for first place in the league. They do not look like at all like the best team in LEC right now to me. So, Dom, give me your thoughts initially, and then Seal can jump in wherever he wants. Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with you that some of the wins were fraudulent. I mean, the Mad Lions win, that's just complete. Like, that is just fucking crazy. Like, the fact that that's even possible in League of Legends, like, I just want to, like, yeah. it just it just makes me hate whoever designed the game. Like, I don't even think that you should be able to fucking throw that hard when you play that well for, for that portion of the game. Like, it, like sure, Elder, whatever. Like, I, I know that they, like, outplayed really hard. But if you looked at the game and you were like, who is playing better? It's like, Mad Lions is playing better for minute zero to 25. 
and then Rogue was playing better from like minutes 25 to 27. And that's like the entire fucking game. And I just think that fundamentally there's like way too much catch, way too many catcher mechanics um, in the game. But like that win, you know, that's not a win where you feel good about. It. That's one where you stole it. And then the EXO game, it was more legitimate win. But I thought both teams were having a bad day. Like when I looked at both teams, I saw so many mistakes that I never, that I didn't feel like either team was playing cleanly. So my issue with with Rogue is not that I think that they're bad. It's just that like normally when when you've watched Rogue for a while, they they're really good in the regular season. They're like one of the cleanest teams. Like, yes. you know, it's not even that they're in first place. It's like when you think about the 9-0 from spring, they were like dominating teams. Oh, like, very I mean, like, good. For yeah. example, when they played against G2 both games, it didn't look like G2 really had a chance to beat them at any point. It was just like, oh, this is like the first game. I remember it was like the Akshan top uh, that I believe Odo played into uh, BB Sakali. And it just looked like, yeah, it looked like, like there was no uh, real struggle for Rogue. And we always talk about the Rogue Razor Cake, which is, you always want to buy in because they look so fucking good. And then it always, you know, collapses at the end. And, you know, I just don't know if the team is like really progressing or like, you know, like when I look at the team, I don't feel like, oh, they're trying like a lot of really new things. It just seems like there's, they're just not getting the same wins that they did before. And there's just not like the same cohesiveness before. And I mean, recently in, in an interview, we, we heard Larson say that he thinks that there's too much ego in the team. And that's one of the reasons why the team is not progressing. So, when I hear all those, when I, when I hear that, and then I see the games, and I like look at the record, I mean, I don't really care this early, right? Like G two is four and three, but I still think that like when they draft with intention and the way that they know how to win, I think that they'll be the that they're right now the best team. Like I would take them in a best of five, um, right now. So I, I don't, I'm not really sure where I am on Rogue, but I just I just I definitely don't think they're the best team. I would probably have them somewhere between like second and fourth. What do you say about how the split's gone so far? seal yeah i mean i think for sure there's a lot left to be desired um i actually think a lot of the loss like the, the two losses that we had were actually um games that we should have won right so the main thing is this obviously in the past we've had problems with burnout and uh we're doing our best to learn from this you know so we're actually a bit slower to start than other teams so i, I think that that definitely played a role in terms of like the fact that we just simply had less time to, pr to practice, right? And then, as in in the past, would you have done like two weeks before the split or something? Uh, or I mean, how would, how, 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 would I, how would I know, Duncan? I mean, I just started, right? I mean, I started this year, but you I mean, told me. You're the I mean, one you, you can ask them, like, you meet these people, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, but, but, the people that are there. You can... I mean, I, I mean, we talked about the schedule, uh, okay. and and that was like what, what came up. And, and I mean, it makes sense to me, right? Because I think burnout's a really, really big thing. Okay. Um, so, so for sure, like, I think the fact that we started a little later makes sense i think a, a lot of our like mid games so for example i mean you could say the razor cake thing right but i want to address that for a second you could say the razor cake but at the same time like where did road time go you know where did road time it doesn't exist anymore right and um, yeah. and, and and the same sentence if we think that it's a pressure-based thing then why can we reverse sweeps fanatic i actually think that you know you need to look at these situations objectively i think that the finals i mean i thought that we were the best team coming in i think that our prep was definitely a lackluster and the way that we we drafted you guys winning game. the final 3-0 and uh yeah that didn't go well for me so you know yeah i mean uh, I, was... I mean for sure like from a systems perspective from the way that we play the game from the way that we view the game from how organized we were um i i thought that we were the best team um and i still think that to this day uh, i think our prep was a bit lackluster and i think it's kind of unfair to say that you know our players are chokers or that um there's the thing called a rogue razor cake because all these things are just independent from one another they can be fixed they can be addressed uh, and, and you learn from it same for the the whole burnout thing right so even though we don't look 
you know, the best right now, I, I'd say that, you know, taking that break might mean that we look much better in, in the next four or five weeks. I'm not going to go ahead and curse it and pull off a G2 where, you know, in 2020, 2020 G, was 2021 G2, where they had the reckless roster and they're like, oh, Worlds is free and we're just working on what It's not like that at all. It's just more so that, you know, for playoffs and Worlds or whatever it is, like mental health is a really big thing. I think player longevity is a really big thing. And, and so that's why we're kind of starting out late. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think some of these stereotypes uh, should be viewed independently. I don't think that they're particularly accurate in a lot of cases, and, and that's just what I have to say about it. But for sure, our, our games haven't been all right. So amazing. I, from your perspective, yeah. what was that? What was the game three versus G two? If it wasn't like choking, because to me, I'm seeing like Odo getting solo killed by an Ornis Jace. I'm seeing you know just like when you listen to the comms, it's just like people aren't even calling like when 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 there's bases. Like Orin solo kills the Jace, and then you hear not just dead silence. And then the next thing you see, like Trimby flash over a wall top, and then he's like, "What the fuck? The Orange here!" And you know, you guys have this massive lead, and it just feels like, you know, the 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 game is in such a great state. I mean, their their AD carry was what level one at like five minutes. So I feel like, you know, that's the problem with Rogue, and that's why people consider them chokers, is because there's always these moments where you're like, okay, this is like where you'd like battle back if you're mentally strong in the series. Like they gave you a pretty much free game. Like you're not gonna get a bigger lead than that early game most of the time, and it just all ends up. Like yeah, I mean, apart, so. I mean, I think our third game draft was winning, but you have to realize that these like off games happen all the time. Like they happen literally all the time. They could have happened in game one. They could have happened in game three. I mean, the whole point of a best of five is that it's like a stamina based game and you have like cushions for when you like mess up. Right. So it really comes down to like how well you play over the entire series. And I think what happened was we had prepped in a way that wasn't most favorable to us. Right. And the responsibility falls on like everybody. Right. But obviously, like us coaching staff would take a bit more of a responsibility in that regard. And then by the time we got to game three, it was like we played something that we weren't necessarily prepping. It was it was just something that we thought was a good adaptation. And com combined with the fact that there's a lot of pressure from like losing first two games, um, combined with the fact that things haven't gone how we thought they would. Right. I think that's completely different from just talking about choking, because I think like, as I said, the best of five is like a best example. Like a semifinal isn't any less stressful than a finals, guys. It's very, very stressful if you're zero two down, right? A zero two down. It just comes down to like how flustered or how prepared are you, right? In, in first two I games- know, I was I, only 2-0 up and lost. I never actually got the okay. first sweep in. So I, mean, I, 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 remember, I remember comp said this twice, actually. In, in the semifinals, he was like, okay, I'm, I'm down for a reverse sweep, guys. Like we should have won these both two, these two games. Like we're better team. Mm -hmm. And then we just did it, right? It's like the mentality and the prep and like how think, how you expect the game to go. And if it doesn't go that way, it happens. It's a competition, guys. And and like th that's what it's all about in the end, right? In a, in a competitive game, it's just sometimes you are prepared. Sometimes the other team just plays better. And I think that just was the case. I don't think it was like a choke thing. Well, as you said, it's only your first year in Rogue. You'll find out in the year two and three. So, yeah, I mean, okay. I mean, uh, Th Thor, what, what's your take on that? Before we even move on, like, on do you buy it? Do you no, buy no, it? I because... I listen, I don't buy it, but just because it goes totally against my philosophy. Like, listen, I do agree. It's not like when Rogue loses, like, everyone is a choker. First of all, I don't think that even works like that. Like, for example, I've seen from CSGO, you can get players that individually will clutch their whole career and put them in the wrong team together, and the team collectively becomes unclutch or a choking team. And, like, that's one of the weird things about dynamics of personalities and playing styles. And stuff. So, I would, like, for example, the thing he said about comp there, I'll give, you, I'll give you a little angle on that. If you remember 
in the comms in the final, I forget if it's after game one or game two, there's a point where comp says something like, I, I feel, feel like, like I haven't even, I feel like yeah. I haven't even played League of Legends yet. Game right? Two. That's not choking. That's tilting. That's like you're just frustrated. Like, fuck, dude, I'm, we're on game three of the final. I haven't even got to play yet. Like, I'm AD carry. I haven't, I haven't had a chance in the game. Like, even if he says it in like, it's just a joke or whatever, like, you don't, you don't verbalize that if there's not something behind it. So, like, for me, someone might have choked, someone might have tilted, the, the staff might just be going, oh, just in a bad game. Because here's the problem with that angle, right? When you said that there, Seal. I joked, but there's a grain of truth in it. It's only your first split. So it's all well and good you going, just had a bad day, didn't we? Mate, all fucking Rogue has in finals is bad days. All they have in upper bracket finals is bad days. The best day in the history of the Rogue organization in League of Legends thus far Fnatic, is that sweep over Fnatic, right? That was almost a fucking sweep by Fnatic. If that's your best day ever, then here's the problem. I'll spin it. I'll go full authority. You ready? You've brought the fucking demon out now, mate. Don't do it if you don't want it. Here's the fucking, <laughs> okay. here's the angle for you, right? Here's why you should want me to call Rogue players chokers. Because do you know what they are? If they're not chokers, Seal. Just fucking second best, mate. They're not good enough. When I call them choker, I'm actually giving them the respect that they might have been the best team that day, that Larson might deserve to win the LEC, that Adoam they might have had a tortured career. Because if he isn't a choker, if there isn't some other intangible effect in him, they're just fucking not as good. They're just worse I'm... players. So take that to the bank if you want. Fucking stamp it and go fuck off and get your silver medal if you want. But if you want to have the gold <laughs> medal, one, fucking own your mistakes and actually improve from don't go, oh, hope that doesn't happen again. What hope? Motherfucker, you build that wall brick by brick. You don't just go, hope oh, it just works out. And then secondly, like, if, you, if you're fine with being considered second best, cool, do it then. But here's the other thing. I don't give a fuck about second best, mate. It's win or bust. It's win I or mean, bust. I, I think it's important that I address that because, I mean... In a way, I actually agree with what you said. I think we were second best. Okay, I mean, there's a big, in my opinion, there's a big difference between first and second. Okay. What I'm saying is like you should objectively look at what was the reason behind being second best. That that's 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 what I believe, right? And um, of course, there well, are let things... me just say this then. I think one other thing I would throw in is this. I tried to imply at the beginning, but I wasn't explicit. The other problem is this. Obviously, people are trying to make a very simple one-sentence narrative to cover basically three yeah. different rosters of rogue players <laughs> and about five splits at this point in time. Right? Yeah, obviously, mm -hmm. I doubt they lost every single split in exactly the same fashion because someone choked. Yeah, that part is like very simplistic because that's just Reddit narratives where people have the same concept that gets repeated. And for example, like the premise would be if South Media gets kicked, he must have been toxic you know like i'm sure there's a grain of truth to that but i doubt every time he left the team it's because he was toxic i imagine sometimes he didn't fit the meta or he didn't yeah. get along with the plate so yeah I, I i'm definitely not on board with that it's not that like rogue is always chokers basically i think i'm sure there's many different ways you've lost over the years yeah uh, yeah i mean for sure that, that's that's what i mean like we, we we were the second best that's why we're second right that's not something that anyone's avoiding um yeah. it's just i'm not sure if i'm not sure if that the reason was choking specifically yeah, maybe, maybe maybe i haven't been around in the team as long enough as as you know as you said that's but a, uh, that's uh, mainly just bad that i'm fucking maybe on that alternatively <laughs> i could say that you know i work with these players every day you know so sure. i mean at the, at the same time of course i wouldn't be able to come here and say that but i can confidently say to you from from a coach uh, from a person right that i think that these guys have the potential to be the best and that's really what we're working towards and um, I, I would say that, I mean, you could say that it's the same or different roster or same players or whatever, you know, because we, we maintain three of the roster, but I think the level of play or the level of players between each, each season has been wildly different, right? And the environment has been wildly different. The, 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 the coaching sure. stuff has been wildly different. You can't say that a roster that had Bjergsen that, you know, didn't come first back in 2015, 2016 for one or two splits. It was because Bjergsen choked. That's not the case at all. I mean, look at Jensen as well. People were saying that he was a massive choker. 
these things, even if they were true, these things are things that can be addressed and improved on through things like routines, through performance sure. coaching, through a lot of different things, right? And so, so for me, I mean, from from what I felt in inside the team environment from talking to these players is that I, I really do believe that, you know, we have the potential to be the best and we can do it. It just means that the process needs to be right. Uh, and really to, to win guys, I, I think almost everything has to go right. Uh, I think sure. oh, yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's very, very hard because everyone's trying to win. Right. So, yeah, yeah. so, so yeah, I mean, I, I see your point, but at the same time, I just respectfully disagree because uh, I, I do think that, you know, there was a time when people were saying that Jensen couldn't win a title. He won oh, a title, sure. right? Same yeah. for Bjergsen, same for, you yeah, know, a Jen- lot of people Jensen, Jensen won a title when he went to, like, the most star-studded, superstar team imaginable, and they barely won. Like, is that is that the example that we're going to go for? I mean, that was before my time. That was before my time. I just gave you a random example. But... It's all good. Okay. It's all good. Yeah. Okay, by the way, also, this is why the show's good, isn't it? Because also, yeah. you, have, you have to understand fans. This is why you have to... I, I'm like, it's like that fucking famous scene where they're like... Uh, the fucking mafia, like, I tried to get out and they pulled me back in. Even if I try and just be like, <laughs> oh, I'll just be the peacemaker. I'll just have... Oh, next topic, guys. Like, you all know... There's no one does it like me. So Dom knew <laughs> you had to activate fucking Weapon X. You know, what do you well, know? I, look, look, I've, I've spent a, a lot of time with Australian people. Australian <laughs> people can take it. You know, it is what it they is. Can, like, yes. like, they're yes. just thick skin by nature. So, sure. you know, it's one thing that's well really misunderstood hard. about people from Oceanic region is when you meet them, people think, oh, they're so chill and laid back. That's exactly why, though, Dom. It's because you, if you can't take a, a joke there, you are a fucking social outcast. So the reason everyone's so chill is because when they banter, they banter so harsh, mate, that you have to just be able... You have to be chill. You have to have yeah. that sort of, like, frame. Of the first you won't time, make it, mate. You won't. The first time I went to OC, you know, I was hanging out with some people. They are like, like, hey, cunt. And I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, we're outside. Like, keep, keep your go. voice down. Like, don't say it yes. like that. Like, please, like, relax. <laughs> you know, they're like, no, no, no. That's just like... That's sure. how you say friend. They're like, okay, this is what rule one of Australia they told me. You call your mates cunts and yeah. your cunts mates. That's what they go. told me. Yes, so. it's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. That's how I uh that's exactly. how I was introduced to, to Australia but, right there. You know? Realized the internet had actually skewed who I was as a person and it had gone <laughs> too far. Was there was once a time a few years back where I was just on a train with someone and I was talking and this woman just goes like, Excuse me, like I'm sorry to interrupt, but like could you please not swear like in front of my child? And I was like, I looked around and like she was sat there with like a like three year old child. And I realized I was just talking like how gamers do. So obviously I was talking, yeah, this is fucking cunt anyway. I smashed it in in the game, like <laughs> fucking dick and tries to gank me. I'm like I was there, this kid was like, <laughs> I was just wilding about it. And I even had to be like, yeah, sure, I apologize completely. Like, shit, like, fuck. Whoa, we're, we're, we're public now. We're not on the internet anymore. Right, anyway, I'll tell you what, after, because obviously we've like fucking, we've put him on the torture rack here. We've probed his soul about Rogue. I've even fucking roasted him about the fact he's only been there for one split. Here's a positive thing, though. Are you ready for something positive? Oh, do I? They looked fucking great on Zach, mate. He looked fucking banging in that game. That looked like a really good performance. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. against SK, but yeah. Even so, even so, you don't have to ruin <laughs> it like that, Dom. <laughs> All right, my bad, my bad. Okay. Like, <laughs> see, it wasn't against when, the best top player in the league, let's be real. Course, yes. when, I, when I judge these LEC games, like, because of how the league looks right now, I'm, like, throwing out most misfits, like, BDS, SK, only basically for you. Yeah, for yes. me, if, if I see those games, like they don't really tell me I too much about the team. Yeah, so I, I'm really just looking for like the 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 matchups between that top six. You know, anyone sure. from from Mad G two to the top. Sure. Like I'm a hundred percent, you know, gonna gonna value those games. Plus, it's also regular season. I think that that's the hardest thing about about you know 
rogue is we can have this discussion now, but when we we talk about the team, really the only hurdle they have to get through is winning a championship yes. in LEC. Like they've yes. done everything else. Like if they end up coming second again, it's like the same story. You know, we'll still have ever, all the narratives, uh, you know, stay the same. So it, that's kind of what you set up when you have excellence. It's like you just have to sure. you set your own standard yes. and their standard is to be a championship level team. Like yeah, but we're sealed. That's even the reason why it might seem harsh if you are rogue, but it's actually a good thing to be in the center of the eye of the storm with all the scrutiny. Because, like Dom just said there, put it this way, mate. The worst thing you could ever have is if everyone went, you know what? Congrats, mate. Second place, amazing. Wow, you guys finished top three. Fucking sick. You don't want that because your team could win. That's the difference. If you can only come third, it's fucking sick to come second. If you come second when you could win, it's the fucking worst thing in the world, isn't it? That that's a pretty key distinction for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't take any of this in a, in a negative light. In fact, I think, um, I think every every coach out there should be aiming to to win the win it all, right? Uh, so, like, like for me, if I'm not gonna fucking go for the win, oh, I, I guess I can say it because you guys said all that. Like, if I, I, can't, I said if I, punt I, like six times yeah, in a row. Yeah, I, think I mean, I might, I might get in trouble. I might get in trouble. So right. basically, if I can't, if I can't win, if I can't win, hmm? why am I competing? Sure. I might as well retire. Like that—that's my point, you know. And and uh, you know these criticisms, some of them are valid, some of them are not. It's just like you, you take what you can get and you and you learn from them. That's that's all it is, you know. So uh, for sure, I'm not really, I'm not really bothered by any of these comments. It's just more so. Um, I think there's a lot of outrageous statements that that are that are made, especially when it comes to like the game, most game specific things, right? Yeah, sure. I, and as for Odo, I think you know, I actually think that he's still growing. This is why I think that ageism is like a myth. You know, there are things that certain pro players haven't done for most of their career, and then they start doing. So, for example, Odo would, uh, we we found a top laner, Ragnar. You probably know of him, Dom, because you watch some ERLs, mm -hmm. right? From yeah, LDLC, he's the LFL yep. for a, yeah, he's yeah. LDLC. So, he plays with with my boy Ika. You know, I love that guy. Yeah, Ike is actually also a very solid player, I think. But um, it's yeah, kind of hard to find. Yeah, I mean, this year for sure. I think it's yes. hard to find like one-on-one -on -one partners. We found him because he's not affiliated with an LEC org. We do a bunch of mm -hmm. drills there. Like there's just a lot of things that he's he's worked on that just improves on his consistency. And and really, it's just all about that journey, I think, to win, right? If, if Roger Federer can play until he's 40 years old, okay, I think my fucking players can... Oh, well. I agree. Of course. Yeah, you know. I, I think I think Odo will be fine playing like Zach and Orin when he's like twenty nine. You know, like I don't think that that's going to be a look thing. Look at his like... look at look at his Jace games as well, though. Like like yeah. look at when he crashes X wave. Like he's he's warding wave two, crashing wave three, playing the bounce like really well. Like a jungle will cover before he bases, and then he's, he'll get item and he'll like he just played a textbook even in, in in playoff games. I think and and that that's really possible. It's just the right practice and the right environment and the right attitude. And I think that that's what they were able to do. Hence yeah, why I think you know when I hear these statements about chokers i mean sure you're, you're respectfully allowed to have that opinion right but as an internal person working there and seeing these guys one-on-one -on -one, bias aside you know good lord for sure like i think that these guys are c capable of winning but, but didn't you just make the argument for why he would be considered a choker because his jace was like insane in playoffs the entire time and then he plays jace versus Orin in the final game and that's the game where he has like the worst actually, Jace game that he's i actually think jace versus Orin is not easy that's the thing Jace first one is actually not easy. From you, level do you think six, Jace should be solo killed multiple times? Uh, of course not. Of course not. Right. But if you if you die once or you lose kind of the the vibe or the the kind of if you're not in the zone in the game, anything can happen. Right. It gets it gets out of control sometimes, and that's why you have these best of fives. It's For not, sure. That's that's why best of ones aren't really set. But did we give those environments in the other games? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Right. Yeah. Um. I don't think we did. I don't think we did. And everyone has a lot of gang pressure. If you die once, you fall behind. It's kind of like Malphite, you know. You really, yeah, you really, sure. really need to play well. You really, really need to play well. Mm -hmm.
Now, eSports Bet has all the major leagues, even has a bunch of the minor ones, the ERLs. But obviously, we're talking about the LEC on here on Best Damn League Shorts. It's a European League Legends show. And I'm going to do a bet between what once upon a time would have been a massive marquee matchup. Someone like Perks against Humanoid. You've got the Fnatic squad, the Vitality Super Team. These are two super teams on paper. But here's the problem. As much as Fnatic, yes, they look great this week, but they had some dodgy games in the last one. Vitality still does look like not look like a coherent team. Perks is good, but that's not enough. Alfari's a bit dodgy. The bot lane doesn't work and the jungle actually looks worse now, if anything. So I think these odds for Fnatic are crazy. They have 1.723 and Vitality's 2.084. I'm taking Fnatic on this one and I'm actually fairly confident. I love these odds. So I'm going to go with my big boy bet. I'm trying to make them more reasonable, like to show you how confident I am. I'm not just doing the same bet every time. Like I've news. So I'll say a thousand. This is going to be my top bet. I'm going to say Fnatic takes this. I think this is a brilliant price for the favourite. And as much as like Vitality has some players that could potentially do something against Fnatic they're not as good a team they're not as good a roster and I don't think there's any way that they're winning this game as much as it's just a BO1 so if you want to put a bet out there consider eSports bet anyway in line yeah. with what Dom said I have a similar perspective okay. so being as we've already spent an hour talking about Rogue let's just talk about the other top teams in LEC and see what Seal thinks here so one team I think would be perfect to talk about just in light of Top teams, throwing, choking. It's got to be fucking Mad Lions. Because here's the problem I have, right? On the last few episodes, say, we've actually been like praising Mad quite a lot. Like the Niski swap looks great. Obviously, the quality of their games has improved massively from the previous split. But I have to say, at this point in time, even though earlier I sort of like pointed out like maybe Rogue's wins like fraudulent because that was like a massive throw by Mad Lions. The problem is this, dude. Like... This is just what Mad Lions does. That wasn't even just about Rogue. Like, what they seem to do is they seem to consistently get, like, early leads and look good. And then the amount of times they throw in the, the late game is ridiculous. Like, I don't know what's going on with this squad. Like, what do you think on this? Seal, start me off on this one. What do you think of the Mad Lions team in this regard? I think Mad Lions is a really systematic team. I think Mac is one of the people that I would actually work with as an assistant coach. Like I wouldn't take an assistant coach job anywhere, just to be transparent with you, right? And from my conversations with him, I think he's very good at, you know, setting up winning teams, especially like if you look at how Mad plays historically, playing through mid, right? The jungle playing through mid and enabling mid to move. Like this is something that they're very good at and they're working on, right? I think that some of these losses uh, personally were bullshit. Like the one that we won, it was kind of... You know, yeah. I'm not sure if that should have happened. And also, some of these losses could be just yeah, that they against misfits, man. Like, what the fuck were they doing? Yeah, but I mean, so, so that was a game where they got like mega outscaled. And I feel like that, like, unless you're a really good team, it's pretty risky to play drafts like that because they had like no yeah. damage. They, had, I mean, when you're drafting, what do they have? Lissandra, Callista. No, like if that game goes late, you're fucked uh, versus okay. what they're against. So the way that I saw that was like, yeah, I mean, they made some mistakes, but I, I feel like it's kind of the same way when G two has been drafting like these very hard to execute uh, win conditions and they don't end up crossing the line. I'm, I'm not somebody who takes that like really negatively. That doesn't tell okay. me that you're a bad team. If you're like AFKing and you're just, you have all this like agency on the map and you're not like, you know, contesting anything and you're sitting in your turn. That's when I really like, that's what, what triggers me about, about teams. I'm like, Oh, they're just like out of it. You know, like they're, they're defeated. It feels like Mad Lions was doing stuff and they just overstepped a couple times. And then like, you know, the other, like, so that's two of their losses, right? There was the, there was the throw versus rogue, which is, you know, I mean, whatever like that. That's then you have the, the game where they're mega out drafted versus SK. And the other draft was like El Yoya or the other game that they lost was El Yoya just having 
the worst game of all time. Like he's had his worst Lee Sin performance that he'll probably ever have. Like that's something that I don't even judge a player on that. It's like, oh yeah, you had a fucking bad game. Unless I see that multiple times, I don't even care. It's like, okay, yeah, you just play like shit one game. Like it happens to everyone. So um even though they're four and three, the other thing is strength of schedule. Like they like they should have been seven and two in the first half. Like they probably should because they had a really easy um next couple games. And I believe their their next couple games are against like they just play BDS and stuff, don't they? Don't they play the like BDS Astralis or it's like BDS. Well, they just played Misfits, so it's yeah, it's BDS SK, maybe. I don't know. But the point is that they play two out of the three. Yeah, it's the two two of the worst, yeah. So I mean, I like so they're most likely gonna be six and three in the first half. I think that everything like considered that's great with what they were from where they were at the beginning of our, this split, you know, or what they were coming into yeah, yeah. at the end of last split. So what do you I'm think? Seal? Cause basically my problem is this on the one hand, I actually think there's so many positives. Like if they can make it to the playoffs, like basically they look so good until the moment they start, like some of these weird throws or things go wrong late. Like they're actually looking great early on. Uh, I mean, for sure, uh, this team will be a playoffs team. I, I talked about it in Rich's show as well, like the other one. Um, and, I, and I basically said, like, Niski provides what they need. I'm not too I'm not too worried about how they look in these games because building a team is not like a one or two week thing. It's a, it's an entire split thing. And, and especially because they changed their mid laner and a team that plays through mid changing their mid laners, it's a big, big adjustment, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Especially, I mean, the fact that they shifted from playing with a rookie into a veteran mid laner into building a system or rebuilding the system, playing through this guy, right? And him moving and enabling things on the map. I really think that um, this will be a playoffs team. I, I expect to compete against them in the playoffs and I'm not too worried. I don't, I don't really judge things just by the scoreline, right? So, because for example, I really think that our 5-2 scoreline isn't necessarily the most accurate um, yeah, sure. to, to where we are skill-wise. And yeah. um, I mean, look at G2 and split one, right? Like, I think there was a lot of question marks around whether or not, um, you know, th this bot lane Flackerton and Targamas would be good enough to win the whole thing. And and they they proved to be good enough, right? So they were like fourth in the regular season. Th these things happen. And, and uh, I mean, I, I really expect that that team and the coaching staff around that team will be able to build something um, formidable. One formidable. thing I did find a bit dodgy about Mad Lions, though, is in that Misfits game, mate, that fucking armor gangplank looked fucking... That looked gross. Yeah, that was, that was, some, that was, that was really His champion pool looks pretty limited now. Now that he was our top player, his champion pool looks limited, mate. I mean, he was playing well until he wasn't. I mean, he just got into some of those team fights, and man, the barrels were just all over nothing. the place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. Champ. Yeah, it, I mean, look. Arvid, I mean, I don't know. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, Armut. He's just generally a player who gets better in pressure moments. At least that's what I've observed in his career is three splits. It just sucks that they didn't actually make it to playoffs. Um, but I, I feel like he'll, he'll be fine. I mean, his gameplay looks sus here, but when he played gangplank versus uh, Adam in the finals, sure. Pretty fucking good right there. So, you know, I think I it mean, just depends yeah. on the game. There's time. Like Odo, Odo couldn't play this champ and he played a hundred games of this in Sologu and made it work. Right. And there's, there's still time for him to adjust if, if GP stays in the middle. So I don't think that's necessarily that important yep. to look at. You can always for me also like just misfits in general. I mean, misfits obviously had you know, a decent score. I think they two owed this week, right? So they had some wins, but the thing about misfits is like, you can tell that they have just, they have figured out the bandaid solution and they're already, you know, just sinking their fucking heels in. They're just, all right, we're going to draft a tank top every fucking game. Fuck everything else. Tank top scaling mid laner, 
if Schlatten gets Lee or whatever the fuck he can play, like we're going to put that in there and we're just going to just play our style, whatever we can do to win. Because now basically, so doing what in NA 100 Thieves is doing, it's like, right, this is just the most simple way we can win with these comfort pitch. Do this. Do do what works, basically. I mean, it's it's a short split. Like, it is not a long split. You got eight weeks. They had a really bad first two weeks. And I think that they thought if they go 0-2 this last week, it's fucking doomed. Like, they're not going to be able to make playoffs with the competition, with, with how the other teams oh. end up looking. Because... Like maybe Vitality looks a little sketchy. They probably look like the weakest of the the top six playoff teams. But you know, if you if you start if you're one and six and you have to make up three games in, in the back half, like that just seems almost almost uh un, infa, unfathomable unfathomable for them. So I think that other teams will start doing that as the split goes on. Like when they feel like they really need to just put their best foot forward, they'll limit their champion pools. They'll play what's best for them. But I just don't think that the other teams are that stressed. Like when I look at everyone. XL through G2. So like that's to me the top five, right? XL, Rogue, Fnatic, Mad Lions, G2. None of those teams feel like they actually are worried about making playoffs. Maybe only Vitality is the team that I'm like, hmm, maybe they need to like kind of hone things in. Um, and I just think that that's a natural progression for a team that is struggling. Like you just have to band-aid everything and for forget trying to be the best po possible team. Like sure, that's going to limit your upside, but like you got to get wins on the fucking board or you're not even like nothing's happening. You know, your season's just over. Oh. oh, by the way, just before we leave the Mad Lions topic, one other thing I'll say as well is this. One, I thought in both the games this week as well, Unforgiven just looks super legit, mate. I think I think he had, because sadly, everyone went out of their way last split to give all the fucking people like fucking Schlatten votes for all rookie. Like, this guy's actually underrated. He's just a very good player, mate. He's coming to the LEC. He's looked good from the very beginning of the last split. He looks good now with a fucking player change. And now their actual bot lane's activated. And by the way, that fucking move Kaiser pulled off against fucking Caps in that G2 game. What a fucking sick fucking outplay that was that flashed over the wall. So the Zoe had to come back and he got him caught. Like the, the whole team looks like they've leveled up. Everyone looks better on Mad now. Except Armour. I, I know I know Unforgiven has a lot of respect within at least the, the pros that I talk to. There's oh, okay. like Un Unforgiven is one of those players where the pros will tell you, like, oh, I think mechanically he's one of the best players in EU. Oh, that, that's the least okay. what I've heard from multiple times, from multiple different okay. people. Maybe like, it's just fans sleeping on then. I don't know. Well, I mean, that, like at least amongst pros, they think this guy's very good. And then, you know, it just feels like he's he's one of those players that's just feeling himself right now. He's performing well in games. He hit rank one in Champion Pro looks great as well. Look at all the champions he plays every split. Yeah, Zeri, Twitch. I mean, he, he looks like he's just in the zone right now. You know, it's, he's really trying to make up for that first split because, you know, uh, it just seems like he doesn't want that to be his career. So I, I respect him. I think he's a, a solid player for sure. I mean, all, all sale? I mean, all props to him, but I actually think that um, a lot of props also goes to the environment that they create there, right? Because uh, personally, I always thought Unforgiven was, was one of the top ADs from ERLs, but um, I had actually quite a few ADs above him, right? Um, okay. I had, I think Jack Spectra looked really solid. Give us the rich flacked list. Go give on. us the 30 ERL AD yeah. carries that were all. No, I, don't think, I don't think it was 30. I don't think it was 30. Who were the other ones? I mean, like, it, it was a while ago. I remember the top laners because I remember having to talk about this um, in, in Vitality at, like when, as I was leaving. But the AD, um, I don't remember spe specifically off the top of my head. I would have to. I think, I think, I, I, I think I, yeah, I mean, like, I think, I think. A couple of them definitely looked better uh, in, in the IRLs, like Jack Spectra. I think Woolite in lane with, with Jack Troll looked pretty good. But that being said, you know, I, I, he's been in LEC before. There's probably a lot of baggage there. That's why they didn't want him. And then there was also, I think, Smiley. You know, he's actually really, he, he was ranked one, like 70% win rate. 
Um, and, you know, given the right environment, I think he could definitely be a really good, really solid player, right? Like, at least starting out, you know, middle, bottom of the pack LEC level, even now. And if he played one split or two splits of LEC, you know, he could be a lot better than where he is, you know? So, so for me, um, there were a few Eddie carries that I put close to, if not slightly above him. Uh, but it's huge props to him that he, he's able to get in there. The environment is probably very good for him to learn also, and then just kind of step it up and, and just play, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, so, another yeah. thing that people need to know about Unforgiven is that he wasn't somebody that was on like an insane ERL team. You know, he was on like a middle of the pack ERL. I think it was like fifth or sixth in like in a uh, German league, which wasn't even considered the the top league. So, Nothing. yeah, uh, but yeah, Diplex I mean, was also sixth place in when he first started in um, his team in in Prime League, and I think that Diplex is one of the best mid laners in ERL right now, like by far, like if not mm -hmm. if not the best for a, a little bit of time, right? Uh, personally, personally speaking, like I thought that he was better than than Rika, um, and and so like placing doesn't really matter. You can really see how good they are through solo queue and through scrims and this kind of stuff. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, what about this then? How about we talk about the team who also share the top spot in the league? And look, I agree with Dom. If I have to like spiritually pick the best team, it probably is G two. But in terms of like just raw aesthetics, XL has looked excellent so far this split. We, me and Dom have talked over the last few episodes, waxing lyrical about them. So Seal, give me your thoughts. Obviously, your team was able to get a win off them, but XL generally, are they, like for example, are they actually like? Ever, I, I get the vibe from the interviews I've seen. Like even in scrims, they're playing like this. They're just, they're just one of the top teams now. Are they legit? Can they win LEC? For example, Do you believe in it? No, I don't, because obviously I think we should win, right? Okay. I mean, like, I I have no I, doubt in my mind. Contender status, though? Because obviously before they were, like, barely playoffs. Now, is XL, like, a true contender? I think they're a top three contender for sure. And then playoffs, you never know what happens, right? Sure. Um, I remember I, when I first started my split, like, my my jungler, who was my key player, like, when I first started um, coaching in my very first split in Oceania, my jungler just randomly got really sick from, like, some stomach bug, and he, he was, like, playing half-vomiting. Uh, so, I mean, you never know what happens in, in playoffs, right? I mean, do I think they look pretty solid? Yeah, for sure. I'm not sure if they'll win, though, because I think uh, G2 Fnatic, us, look a bit better than them at the moment. Okay. Yep. I mean, I have the same take that I've had the whole time, where I just feel like they have uh, decent cohesion. It seems like they're on the right the same page right now, but I think that they're the players that they have limit how good they can possibly be. Except Mickey. I think Mickey's for yeah. sure still really good. No, I, I I always talk about the solo lanes. I think the solo lanes just aren't as good as like when I look at, and this is what we said every week, when I look at, I mean, obviously Niski Armut's going to be the one where people are like, oh, how good is Armut? Maybe they're, maybe they're not yes. as good. But when I look at like Odoabne Larson, when I look at, uh, you know, Wonder Humanoid, when I look at BB Caps, like, I, I don't know. I just can't imagine them being better in like a clutch situation in playoffs when like, you know, there's actually like volatility in the lanes. I think XL bot lane is good though. I think they can carry. And I actually think that Finn and uh, Duck are underrated. They're not that bad. They're, they're pretty solid for sure. So who knows? Like if, they, if they're able to build a really strong like identity um, and play both sides, because I think Finn's very solid at playing like super volatile matchups, who knows what will happen, right? Uh, and it feels I, like I know that's not what he's been doing recently though. It feels like he's just been kind of like weak siding for the most part, like or in GP, like, you know, that type of stuff. I mean, I think GP, a lot of GP lanes are actually super volatile. Like, for example, like GP versus Gwen, you need to push in a lot of situations. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it I think it just really depends. Uh, I think Patrick, uh, Mickey X are really solid bot lane. 
at the moment. And Mickey X, Mickey actually uh, really impressed me, like uh, because I thought that this guy was not that good coming out of 2021. Um, I had my doubts about him, to be completely honest, and he just showed that he's still a top top player. So maybe something was going on in in in, in G2, especially since. That bot lane, you know, I know how, like Reckless has his way of viewing the game, right? With the certain AD carries he likes to play with Jin and this kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they have they have a good chance, I think. Okay. Right. Since as I alluded to before, I think most people think are low key, like as Dom said, who gives a fuck if the record of G2 is four and three? Like the games they win, they look fucking good. And like crucially, the two best players over the split is the jungle of mid and it makes the fucking dynamic work. The team just works. So I've got a quick question for you, Dom, right? This isn't like the weekly defend broken blade, but like mm-hmm. that Aatrox pick was a, that was a bit of a what? Yeah, it was, it was a, was a weird, it? it was a weird Aatrox pick for sure. And then for, for me, the, I mean, it was just one of those games where it's like, you're playing Aatrox into GP and you lose your flash and your pot oh, and you're the beginning, yeah. level <laughs> one it's like yes. just not like every fucking atrox player i've ever met is rage quitting that game in solo queue like no one is playing the fucking doran shield versus gp atrox without flash and without a pot like that is just crazy levels of like you're getting fucked level one so i mean that game's really rough for him to play um and then when you look up like the the like other games they've lost i mean it's just the games that g2 has lost you don't feel like our actual loss it's like okay they played vi versus bds like what the fuck? Like, Vienkos is not a vibe player. Like, sure, people are trying to, like, get into the meta, but I never, like... Dude, everyone looks like shit on Vi these days. I'm watching every region. Whenever I see a Vi, I'm always fucking groaning on my stream. Like, please pick anything else, man. Like, even when you see it do well, it just never seems like it, it works out the same way it does in scrims. Like, it, people are playing into Lissandra. People are playing into all these ridiculous uh, matchups. I believe in that game, wasn't he playing it into Lissandra? He was playing into something fucked up. Um, You know, where I just don't really, like, believe that that would ever be an optimal uh, situation for the pick. So I feel like G2 knows what they're doing. You know, I think they're confident in their position within the league. And, you know, if the shit hits the fan and they get a couple more losses, I think they're just going to go back to like, okay, we'll draft Orin, we'll draft GP. Like we know what, what wins, you know, Caps will play whatever mage. Yankos will we'll just have like solid fucking games and they're just going to take the wins that they need. So I'm not worried about them. I think that they're a solid team. I think they're still like the team to beat. I think that they're the team that no one really wants to play in playoffs right now. What do you think, Sale? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I mean, that Vi example is a good example because I think that maybe it's like scrim data. I'm not too sure myself. The problem is the clear is so slow and they handshake you in a lot of like fights to v two in so scrims. So fucking slow. But if you if you if you skirmish a lot, this champ is actually quite good, especially if you want to lock down like super mobile champs like Zeri, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think what happened was maybe the, the games didn't play out like they expected. But when I see these games, I'm just like, this is really not how they're going to look in playoffs, right? So. I mean, every every top team is is kind of the same from from my experience. Like when I was in LFL, right, it was the same. Like the top heavy, these top heavy regions, wherever you go, they're, they're always the same. They have their own meta. They think about how they want to play the game, and they're just preparing for playoffs, basically. I think, and that's what's happening with G two, right? So, what I have is they've still got one of the best upsides you could have in the whole LEC, which is Caps looks like the best player in LEC. He looks amazing, dude. Mm-hmm. He even looked good in the fucking game they just lost. Like he was doing a great job. Like what, what's the problem? In fact, I even I have, I thought like that Zoe performance he had against Mad Lions. He had some banger fucking more. Like the, he was making Yankos's job like twice as easy because he was just fucking landing that bubble on the El Yoya every bloody time he came past the lane. Like that looked great. So to me, the upside is this: Yankos is probably the best jungler right now and gets 
Caps ahead all the time. When Caps is ahead, he carries the game. The problem I have is that that does seem like it's going to be the primary thing that must happen for them to win the split again. Because the problem is there's too many games now that don't look like the beginning of the split. Or MSI like, oh, everyone's looking great. Like there's games that Broken Blades had a bunch of questionable games. Targamas is Zillion was fucking shit. He didn't even use the ult one time, he just died for no reason. Like I, I look at their team. The problem with their team is this: they have games where everyone looks great, and they have games where it's just Yankos and fucking caps. Yankos and caps are winning a lot of games in LEC, but that's that's my only question. I don't feel like that. Here's the difference: when I look at Rogue, Fnatic, maybe even XL, like these teams can play through most of the players in the game. They can play a bunch of stuff. Like I feel like G2 is a bit more limited. For mm. Lemon's take, give me your thoughts, Seal. Come on. I mean, I, I think Yankos. I think most good teams have good junglers because. Um, it, it might look like Caps is smurfing the lane, but what's really happening is jungle that like Yankos is going in, finding the enemy jungle, making it super easy to play like these volatile lanes, and he's always on the right side of the map. So I actually think he doesn't get as much credit as he deserves, even though he gets a lot of credit already, you know. So yeah, Caps is amazing. Like they're setting up the lane correctly and all this, but the, the way Yankos plays a game, I think he 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 deserves a lot of um, praise through that. And I think that Targamas has always I mean, been should probably be an MVP candidate, right? Yeah, I think I, I think, think Targamas is. Targamas and Broken Blade are, are both very good laners, right? I mean, I have um, some thoughts about about Flackard. Maybe he he does some things that most AD carries do, like m making mistakes with wave management, for example. But I think that really this this G two squad can play through both sides. Flackard has the mechanics, like Flackard has the mechanics to carry for sure, and um, and. and they have the the right lanes to to play around the sides. So for me, it's it's more like if mid jungle is winning and mid jungle is playing through sides, of course the game is going to be easy and they're going to look better. But it doesn't mean that they need to always play through caps. I don't think that's the case at all. I think BB looked really good in a lot of situations, and BB has always been a a very a, a top top Western top laner for many many seasons now, right? Mm -hmm. uh, even even when people weren't giving him credit, he was very very good. I think. So I think they can play through both sides. Holy, perfect! That's what I like to hear. I was just for just for the record on like the crackdown. You know, I was always considered the biased, delusional BB defender because he's obviously somebody who's like one he's of my very IRL good. friends. He's very, he's very, very good. He's very, very. Good. I, I always I, thought he was just exceptionally talented. When I started my uh, career, when I went to Korea, Korea, Korea. Anyway, um, mm -hmm. so so the Aussie what, accent it gets you. The, yeah, the, the first thing that I did was actually um, our Red Bull sponsor. We had, a, we, had a, we had the same Red Bull sponsor in that team. And that was with, um, and we saw the DRX people. That's when CV Max was there and stuff. So I actually got yeah. to see a lot of the, a lot of stuff there. And, and at the time, BB was playing in Korea. And my top laner was playing in Korea as well, like Screaming Chris. And I saw how he was playing. I think his Camille and, and Artrox are very, very high level. I think the way that he manages the wave and thinks about the game is very, very high level for sure. I mean, maybe not the game because I haven't worked with him, but at least like lane stuff. He's definitely up there, and he, he doesn't fall off going into into team fights. I've got an interesting sidebar for you. So you know that feature, Dom, that they did as a skit for this week, where it was Top. the one where it was like the Magic the Gathering version of LEC, where it was like all mm -hmm. those cards in a tra tra trading card game. Everyone knows the fucking like Yu-Gi-Oh style and Pokemon card games, right? When they did that, they had a joke within that, right? That I wanted to make a real topic, though. If you remember, there was a joke where, I think it was Quickshot, had like 2018 caps, and then he was like, but then I'm going to upgrade it to 2022 caps. So so there's my question, which is which version of Caps do you actually think was the best Caps? Because they're implying in that video, I'm sure it is after he's just won the split and looked great in the fire, blah, 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 sure. But they're implying that current day Caps is the best version of Caps. What do you think, Dom? 
the best version of caps is 2020 caps. 2020 summer caps is the that best was actually going to be caps. my take. I had that written down. That, dude, when he swapped back to mid, if people don't remember, yeah. that was the split where he just never had the the fucking crap games. He just smurfed the whole time, didn't he? I mean, his team was also. I think that that was one of the games where like his team was also playing like shit most games, and he was just carrying like all these ridiculous games. I mean, this yes. is the game. That was the split. Game. If people remember when they could have not made playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, was the he one. Would, he, would, yeah. he would. He. They almost. Like we're not going to make playoffs. They there was realistic situations like a lot of them where they didn't. Yeah, make yeah. It. I think they were like there were maybe even like five and eight at a point or something like really really bad. And he would just build a soul stealer every game on every single mage in the game and just smurf on everyone. Like that to me was the the best version of caps. I think twenty twenty two caps like he's a little bit more polished, but like maybe twenty eighteen caps had more upside. I don't. I don't know. Like it's really like I, I don't really care about that. To me, best version of caps, twenty nineteen uh, caps, and then twenty twenty caps. I think was like the absolute peak. Fair enough. Because because the reason I bring that up is I actually thought it was a bit whack last split where before he went supernova in the fucking playoffs, everyone was just doing that whack thing where they were like, well, you have to understand, League of Legends is a game has come a long way. No one can be that far ahead and sort of the gaps close. Like, no, he just played worse and he was not playing any of the traditional caps yeah. carry champions. Uh, what, like what a surprise when he suddenly gets his fucking form back and goes on to all the hard carry champions. He's a fucking monster again. What a surprise. It's almost like it wasn't yeah. that whack angle, guys. Yeah, no, I like how how Caps just proved that angle. They're like, well, he can't do that anymore. And then he just starts doing it. It's like, oh, he did. so he was just... So, Literally so, two weeks later, he just started doing it all exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was like, his fans actually, like, he proved it's his so own dumb. fans wrong. I know. I know. The joke is, you guys actually doubted him and you're his fans, for fuck's sake. Like, we were actually giving him the fucking room that he could be better. I know it's brilliant, isn't it? I love it. Yeah. I love it. That's such a fucked up way to think about it. It's true. I know. By the way, as a random aside as well, I'll even add in a similar joke along those lines, though. You know, if you're a fan, like last year, obviously, Mad Lions would be the example. You know, if you're a fan of the team that's clutch and then the other team chokes and you beat them in the finals, if you just keep saying, haha, they choke their shit, you've just denigrated your own accomplishment, you moron. You actually want to say, no, no, they're really good, actually. They might even be better than us, but we just beat them because that make, it makes your win better. You actually want to talk up your opponent, guys. Think it through. You haven't thought this one through at all, have you? Why would you want to be the guy? I already beat someone who was shit and choked. That implies you're not the best. <laughs> it's hey, just, just fucking fans and players, mate. They don't even know their own arguments today. Seal, what do you think? Who was the best version of Caps? Uh, I mean, I think I think Caps is one of those generational players um, where mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how old he is. Like, the older he gets, he's like fine wine, you know? Like, faker in a way. So, oh, the, the game oh, was... Oh. All right. Okay. All right. A few years back, Faker was, no, no, was, but, was but, still like, really good. Yeah, sure. The thing is, like, if Faker 2013 was way ahead of his time. Okay, yeah. I'm not denying that. And I'm not denying right. mechanically he was very good back then. But the game has evolved, so the competition is just better. Like, that's just how it works. And people catch up, you know. You didn't have it. I mean, when Chovy, when when uh, Faker was playing and he was still winning world championships 2014, 2015, Chovy was a Cassio P1 trick and grandmaster, right? So... But like, really, I think the accurate statement for a lot of these players that are very, very good at adapting, very solid mechanically, they can still do a lot of the things that they were doing back then. For me, at least, for the top, top players, it's the same. It's just that the competition's gotten much better, so they look worse. And then you have to take into consideration that I think Caps had 
the most stacked Western rest Western roster in the history of Western rosters. That's true. In 2019, yeah. so it's very hard to see uh, to see objective truth behind how good he really was in 2019. Because I think everyone on that roster was very, very good, right? Oh. Very, very good. So, I mean, I mean, my I would like to give him the benefit of the doubt. Not always, I'd always take the 2022 caps purely because I think that the game is evolving, and he's just one of those players that really just adapt to the meta well and learn the game very, oh. very quickly. I mean, you have to take the 22. 2022 caps in 2022 versus the 2018 caps in 2018. Like, of course, that's you, of course you go to 2018, then, of course. Yeah, like, sure. like, why wouldn't you take a season three faker, right? I mean, like, what? Yeah. How, how do you lose with this guy? You can just, you can have like four bots in the game and you'll win, right? Okay. Sure. Like, people were like, whoa, you can flash and press E on Ari at the same time. It's insane. You know? Yeah. Maybe that's not how the question was interpreted. That was just my own. Yeah, uh, interpretation. By the way, on that topic, like the idea of like obviously the game goes on and people improve. Because that's another thing people do forget about. You notice they also do that, Dom. If a player's been established, like he's played a couple of years and generally like he's a known quantity, people act like he is now set statically. He can never improve. All that can happen is it's just raw form. He's either like it's top form or he's bad. He never they never learn, they never improve, they never adapt, they never like he said about Otto, like getting champions you've never played before or play like a style you haven't played before because another angle that I think this is what's sad we're all giving Caps his flowers now because G2's really good I'll tell you who's not getting his flowers this year and it makes me really sad in its perks right look if you want to diss perks here's the angle you can diss perks on if he really was behind picking the players in this super team well then yeah the ultimately the outcome will be his fault he put together this fucking roster but if you want to look individually as a mid laner I still think in spring he was mad underrated he had a whole bunch of really good games that were really consistent in the regular split and this regular split dude he still looks really good he's a top mid laner in terms of raw just mid lane play the lane play like yes obviously they're not winning fucking team fights vitality in it what do you want I'm not a miracle work he's just a mid laner so I actually think no joke even though fans are going to meme like lol fucking Perk's having another shit year like this is actually a good individual year mate I think he looks yeah. good I, I mean I, I don't think he's, he's playing bad at all I think that people just don't like Perk's like he, uh, they just don't like his attitude I think they think he has... dude I think for real going to NA and trash talking that actually changed how people like vibe with him on like, before that he was mega loved on Reddit before that like that mm. seems to have just turned ton, like so basically people prey on his downfall now that's the yeah, vibe I, mean, I get yeah, I mean, people just want to see the cocky guy lose, I think. They're like, oh, oh he thinks sure. he's doing yeah. good. They're like, yeah, yeah. Look at this now. Look, it, it, here's the thing that, that doesn't make sense. If you're going to say Alfari is, like, super shit this year, then it can't be that Perks is also super shit based off their, like, results, you yes. know? Like, I, if, if, if the bot lane's bad and the top lane's bad, then that means that Perks is fucking good for getting to them to this spot. And they like, just and fired the junglers. Yes, who's carrying these games, guys? How are they winning these games? Look, I <laughs> he, he's been the least of my concerns with the roster. Yes. I thought that that they had no jungle support synergy at all in spring. Like, it just never happened. Like, it never worked out for some reason. They're never able to sync bases and do the same thing at the same time. And then this split, I feel like they just downgraded their jungler. I feel like Haru is just... I don't know what he's doing, man. Like, I, I'm watching some of these games that he looks like one of those guys that is just jungling. Oh, some of the try to not terrible, look bad. Well, I mean, you can't be doing nothing as a jungler. How are you down in objectives? Farm? Kills, ganks, everything. It's not like you're playing against these like super snowbally like carry champions like Kiana or some shit, and he's getting like four kills early game, and it's like, oh my god, well now he's just like able to do everything better than me. Like he's playing into like Wukong and like normal jungler, like he's playing the Wukong side, it's like a Viego. Like these are not matchups that snowball ridiculously out of control with like very minimal resources. So when I'm watching his play, it looks like he is just trying to like not look bad most of the time. And it actually like, yeah, it's actually really tough to watch.
I, I saw a lot of people were commenting on it. I saw Vega V2 had a had a tweet about it too, where it's just like, man, like his scoreline looks good, but he is not playing well. I mean, even like the Bell of F game where he got MVP, looked like he was first time in the champion. Looked like he just didn't know like how to play it. That's at least what I would say. Like I was literally watching Broxa play solo queue and Broxa looked like he had more more of an idea of how to play Belveth than than Haru did. Just the fact that I know that's like a low-key diss, but like <laughs> someone else I mean, might be like, oh, watch it, that. Oh, I'm a professional pro. What's wrong with that? Like, I, I get I it. I mean, it's, it's not even supposed to be a low-key diss. Like, that was just it's sort of, though. It has, it has a grade of a diss at least. Come Look, on. he's like one of the only junglers that, junglers that still play solo queue on stream. Like no one that's else true. has the fucking mental to play yeah. this role on stream. So, you know what? Like I was watching him play it. He played a lot of it and I was like, oh, he's actually like, you know, he knows how to play some Belveth. Yeah. Did not look like Haro knew what he was doing. You know, it just kind of looked like he was cleaning up kills and the champion is just fucking OP. Listen, Seal, you can comment on any angle you want here. What do you think about Vitality? Oh, uh, I mean, it was my old org, right? And I actually, I actually really like the org. So <laughs> it's, uh, I think, I think Perks is, I mean, I, I just don't believe in the idea that <clears throat> like you have forms. I think it's just you either learn or you don't and you have a good routine. Like if you if you look after yourself as a professional player, your form is dependent on like how well you learn and how well you train yourself, right? Um, like in any other sport. And that's what defines form, like the process, right? So so for me, I mean, Perk still looks very, very good. I think uh, this roster on paper should be a lot better than they actually are. And I still think that they're not really tapping into their potential. Like I thought that, Self-made was a very good player, and I thought that he was better than Haru, to be completely honest with you. Um, for, for, I mean, yeah, from, from my perspective, but at the same time, I was like, if it's a difference in how they view the game, right, philosophically, uh, when you have this with players, um, it can be hard on a team like Vitality, because my vibe with Vitality is that it would be a player-run team, right? So you don't have... I mean, I think the coach is doing a lot too, but like, it's not it's not the case where the coach you... has... the. Uh, I, I don't know yeah, anything I mean, about I mean, this I, I mean, Okay, to be completely honest, I talked to Mephisto when I was in LFL and I learned a few things about the game off him. So I don't think he's like clueless or anything like that. I think he knows okay. the game. It's just that when you have a player like Perks, you have to have a very, very specific kind of personality to get sure. him to do what you want. And you need to be very good at the game. If not, you're playing a facilitator. And I think Grabs was a facilitator in, in that way. And I think um, Mephisto is probably like a mix of both, right? But the main point is if, if they have a difference in opinion on how to play the game, uh, perks wouldn't look as good as he should be and and i think what happened is it just putting all the big eggs in the in the perks basket to kind of enable mid jungle and then they thought that everything else would solve their problems i i think it's too early for me to judge like how the games would go or how this team would act because as i said i still think it's week three um you have another five six you know, plus playoff weeks to, to work on things and and um you know I, I would guess that they only probably trained like three or four weeks or five weeks together max right Yes, and sometimes you need a little bit longer than that to 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 get in together. So I'm gonna hold and hold my reservations about that. I I personally think that you know perks pick up whatever the org is if you can afford it. It's not a bad pickup at all. It's always gonna be a good pickup. This is a player where I just look at him, I watch him play, and I just know that he's adapting to the meta very well. If you look at him in in, in the LCS, I think that was the case as well, right? And, and these type of players that will be around a very long time, and they'll be good for a very long time, whatever it is. And and the biggest hint for that was. When his team was completely inting and he just locked a Galio, you know, he went down 100 CS and looked terrible. But, you know, it just shows his mentality that, oh, yeah, I just have to pick something that moves so that I can help help unlock the uh, unlock the map, you know, and get vision for my team, right? So it didn't look amazing. It was like the worst matchup possible, but he's willing to do that. So for me, this guy's still really, really good. I think he still wants to win. 
really, really badly. And if he was in a top ten, he'd probably look like a god, right? So I'm going to hold my reservations on 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 Vitality. I'm I'm not sure how things will play out. Um, put Bowen. Perhaps, put Bowen. Put my boy in and let. I, mean, let's, I actually let's think. See if I actually why not at this point? I mean, but I, I've watched both odds. So that's the thing. It's not going to like. I think he's mechanically very solid. I'm not too sure about how he thinks about the game. I think that Korean jungles look good because they they're very very intelligent about how they understand lane states and they're actually very intelligent about uh, um, showing their position. At least the top junglers, right? Um, and, and a big a big kind of uh, misconception is that Korean junglers are good overall. They're just way better, but that's not the case at all. Like I think that even Korea is a very top heavy region because the lot of teams are just being exported immediately to China. They have like 16 teams or something there, right? Like, mm -hmm. I've, like the, the, these teams are also top heavy, and the difference mm -hmm. between like a top three, top four jungler and and the rest is huge. Is huge. Just like for example, not showing your your position as a jungler and, and like avoiding wards and stuff like this. Like these nuanced things that you don't think are small completely dictates how the game oh, is played. Sure. And 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 yeah. So for, for, I'm not sure. Just bringing in a bow would fix the problem. I think that it would need there would need there needs to be a lot of systems and a lot of other things that need to be implemented. Um, How many times you said systems? You're you're prepping for the C9 job. I can already feel it. There, there it is. He's, he's uh, I mean, out of the way. I mean, I could have gone to NA as a head coach, right? I would. Uh, I mean, I would. Uh, I'll take. I wouldn't go there. Oh, I mean, I could have gone there for almost double my salary. So, I mean, it's not something that I would. I would do. I mean, I want to compete in the best region uh, possible. I want to compete in the best possible team that I think that can win. Sure. And all that, right. that's well, always he's going to LCK. He's going to LCK. He's going to brush up on that Korean and here it is. No, no, my oh, yeah. Korean's not the thing, you, the thing you even say, though, about like not showing on the map, I like, that's something else I've even noticed. In international competition, you will always see there'll be like one group stage game where some like godlike fucking Chinese or Korean jungler just finds like the fucking 10 pixels that are on the edge of like a ward's fucking vision and sneaks past and gets some like crazy mid lane yeah. gank off or whatever. It happens every, every single tournament, it seems like. They always have like the little edge on you you know yeah marong's the best at it in, in our region by far yeah Mar marong that is one of marong's strengths for sure there's a game yeah. i distinctly remember is the the uh, hecarim game where he got completely fucked and he like lost multiple camps and he knew exactly where the ward was and he passed like three camps top into bot lane and he ended up he like, getting bot. a kill yeah he that, was that was gg that was gg at three minutes if we didn't do that I think. yeah yeah that was yeah. that was the game where i where yeah. i was like yeah this is a really good game for marong this is something where like you know he's super fucked and if he doesn't do this, then the game is fucking doomed. So, I mean, yeah, there's there's definitely uh, there's definitely those those uh, aspects. But one thing I was gonna say is that like, you see that from like middle to bottom tier Chinese teams, you know, like that's just part of jungling. You know, like if if they know where a ward is, yeah, I mean, fucking ward jump over dragon pit, do whatever you need to to do to get it. I mean, you can see it in almost every fucking game. Even like the bad junglers, like fucking, I I'm I love Ultra Prime for no reason. This team fucking sucks. I love them. They have Hacker. He is. Probably, he's been around quite a few years, yeah, sure. He's been around for a long time, number one. Number two, this guy has he's no a maniac, hands. He? I know. After 15 minutes, he'll just lose you the game solo. I mean, the whole meme in China is that his nickname is Ultraman because in that show, yeah. it's like the Power Rangers, they yeah. lose their power after a certain period of time. And that's what the Chinese fans call him because he just loses Chinese, his power. Just, by the way, Chinese memes in esports are, are, are number one. China is number one when it comes to memes because for memes, they are, the fans are just so good at coming up with really funny memes. Like I think that one about that top lane of three six nine is fucking incredible. Where it's yeah. like it's like a dice and he just rolls and he either is a three, a six, or a nine depending on like how good he is in the game. So if he rolls and it's a three, you just fuck and he throws the whole game for you. Like right. what a great fucking meme. Whoever came up with that? They're it's more creative than we have in the West. In the West, we're just going like lol young cosmos is space like that's not even a meme that's just shit guys like <laughs> come, come up with some 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's actually it's actually kind of fucked up. I mean, I, you remember back in season five, they had the the God V arrow where oh, he like yes. accidentally arrowed backwards on Varys, <laughs> yes. and they had it just like going around the entire <laughs> world and coming back and just hitting the like people from the back. I don't know. I, I, I thought that was yes. great. That was Didn't they start the whole like they should swim back memes where it's like yes, yeah, LGD should swim yeah. back. Like I, I forget though if it was China or Korea. It was definitely one of the two of them that did that. Though. That's yeah. a different one. Right, let's do this then. The last team we have to talk about of the playoff teams. We'll just make this the last team is Fnatic. But here's the thing that's interesting, Seal. On most of the past episodes of the show, it was about all the flaws of Fnatic because obviously they look like on paper the roster's amazing, but then in the server they always look a bit disconnected or maybe this player's not playing well. I actually think we've caught you on the week where Fnatic looks the best. Dude, this last week, that like that game they had against G2, that might be the best game they played all split long. That looked really fucking good, mate. That was Definitely. like, normally as well, when Fnatic won games last split, it would be all messy as shit. That looked clean. Dude, that looked really good. What do you think, Sale? I'm not going to comment because I think I have a very strong idea on where the issues lie, and that's yeah. a competitive advantage. I don't want to give that away. <laughs> all right, fucking whatever. Go ahead, Dom. Jump in. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel the same way, actually. Like, I think that it's a competitive advantage for okay. me go. to give away anything. And, you know, <laughs> as as a student of the game myself, my value is based right. off okay. you know, my ability to potentially okay. coach in the future. So I'm, I'm in the same boat. <laughs> oh, put it this way. That whole fucking Razork topic, that actually looked legitimately solved in that game, mate. That fucking vehicle game was very good. It actually looked like he was yep. connected to the team. Look, Hillisong, every single time he's got his zillion... And it's been in a good situation versus Rakan. It's looked pretty good for the entire year. That's like one of the champions that he's well, performed. That pick on. works for him for sure. Yeah. Yeah, which is strange because you'd think that like you know he would be better just naturally on these engaged champions. Yes. But yeah, I mean recently I feel like his like his Renata and his Zillion have probably been his best picks this season. I don't know. It's it's weird. Like I never know how uh, high to be on Fnatic. I mean I feel like on paper coming into it I thought they were going to be the best team. They've shown nothing to me recently that tells me that that prediction was going to be accurate. Like, I would still assume that they're just going to have the same second, third place, probably go yes. to Worlds, underperform. They're just going to be like every one of these super teams, man. I don't know what it is with these super teams, but TL, Fnatic, we have it we have it in China with BLG and LNG. These fucking teams, I don't know. They're just so disappointing to watch. Like, you just, you want to see something out of them, and they'll show it to you every now and then. But it's never consistent enough where you're like, okay, they're in a, a great game, form. This G2 game was a tease for you. That it was like it was like what you wish they would be, but they probably won't be. Most games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, they're they're gonna. Sure. I, we're just gonna see something horrific in like the upcoming weeks where it's like, yep, that's there. It is. That's the game where Hillsong and Razor are just running it down again. And I will say it's definitely the outlier to the pattern. So when I think about the game, so obviously Wonder was fucking carrying like a motherfucker because he's had a great week generally. Razork was like the MVP of the game. Humanoid was doing fine in CS and getting some good team fights off. Upset was just the shit anyway like he always is and then Hillisang almost never died like when's that ever going to happen all five of those things all at once for Fnatic like yeah. that is the problem Dom it is a little bit too good to be true it's like, like assembling the infinity stones I can't totally buy it I know exactly I can't totally believe that's going to happen I don't know what yeah. do you think as a general team though Seal do you have any thoughts on them as an overall team I mean they're, they're, they're very good <laughs> I mean they, they should be they should be a lot better but I think um, there are some cohesion and timing issues and, and some things that as I said, I can't really talk about. It. I think I think because I'm competing against them and also because I study them extensively, the, the points that I would bring up in this conversation would be very specific on like certain things that they do. And I don't think it's good to like talk about it. You what know, do you obviously. think about how good Wonder is then? Because he obviously on his grag ass, he was already, that was already a signature champion, but he's looked good. amazing when he's played these last few weeks. His top top laner is good. He's good. I mean, I'm not sure how he would go against an Asian top laner. 
to be honest. But I think um, he's, he's definitely solid. All right, we gotta we gotta put the question to you. You know, yeah. So last year there was a really controversial topic on who was better, Adam or Wonder, because you gotta remember wonder, Adam wonder, Solo wonder, killed wonder, him multiple wonder. times yes. in playoffs, and everyone said it's the passing of the torch. Yes, Adam is the king. Wonder dog shit. Who's better right now, Adam or Wonder? Wonder. Okay. All right. Well, that settles it. Is also, what it is. By the way, has anyone noticed the trend here? All those fans last year who were like, why would anyone sign Wonder? Why would anyone sign Mickey X? Y'all have no eye test. Y'all don't even know games. Way, you know, it was way more likely eventually these players get good again than just, what, just be bad forever. Be bad for the rest of their whole career. You'd rather take ERL players over Mickey X and fucking Wonder. Like, go ahead and do it if you want to, but I don't get that approach at all, personally. Like, I mean, I, I was one of the Mickey X people, to be honest. But like, my philosophy is a little more hardcore and obviously we're not implementing this in Rogue, so I can still talk about it, yeah. right? It's like, for me, there are so many t talents and potential players in this region and in any competitive sport, right? And I remember talking to a performance coach, Fabian, you might know him, he, he, he was an Excel's like performance coach and he was telling me like, how many players you, you think there are in football, like in a final team? And I'm not a big football guy, so I didn't know. He said 50. There are 50 players total in LEC. So to be to be in the LEC, you're the elite of the elite of the elite, right? Even though we don't look like it sometimes, that's just a fact, right? So for me, motivation is a really big thing. And I think that sometimes, and, and part of the reason why these super teams, super teams don't work is because the environment and the motivation and the kind of attitude and the, the, the way that you carry yourself, like all these things matter, right? And I always say this to my player, to this, I always say this to my players as well, right? In every team I've been on, like every click, every decision, every every gesture, right? Body language, every little thing that you do in the game impacts whether or not you're going to be a championship team, okay? And for me, whether or not this player is good, is there any guarantee that there won't be another new Trimby, you know, who looked fantastic in spring, by the way, right? And it's, has looked mechanically good for a very long time. So so is there is there any guarantee that's the case? I mean, look at Jojo Pin, right? They just won the LCS with it. Is there a guarantee that there's not going to be another Mickey X, but better with a better better mentality that's more hungry to compete? I don't know. And that, that was kind of part, part of the reason why I'm very hesitant. I was very hesitant about it. Hesitant about it. Um, obviously, I was wrong about that. And I think he's shown that he's a very good player still and he's a good leader, right? But... I do think that there is a reasonable point to be to be made about you know bringing these ERL players in because I think some of them have a lot of potential, right? And just a quick note, and I'm talking too much, but th there was that point about choking and stuff, right? Let's look at Shugenda, for example. This guy looked so good, like so good in ERLs, right? Oh, mm -hmm. Then he went to Vitality and he looked like a choker. Is my experience with Shugenda wasn't that he was a choker. I, I'm confident that if I had him in the LFL, we would have won. You the just whole thought thing. he was bad. Oh wait, never mind. No, wait, no, no, I, I thought was trying, like, it's a joke. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, no. I mean, I thought, I thought that he, you know, I just looked at him, I talked to him, and I said, okay, just he just needs a different type of routine, different type of preparation, different type of training, coaching environment. And I, I think that if we had them in the LFL, we would have won the whole thing. And I think that he is an LEC level top laner. So, so I mean, is it really, is it really a bad argument to to say that you want someone else? No, I don't think so. I really don't think so. Yeah, yeah here's the problem. Are you ready for the problem? Yeah, uh, you acted as though you had two choices: keep Mickey X, or we just randomly generate you the best possible ERL 
support player. No, no, you have to go and find that guy. You have to go and find the ERL support player. Whom, by the way, you remember, you're not going to get like Targamas. That's an obvious. He's already going to G2, mate. That's gone. So Targamas has gone. So what you're doing now is you're not even taking the obvious person. You're taking someone you've never seen play in LEC, and you're not saying he's going to be like blah blah blah, like just good or like have a nice. But no, no, you're saying he's as good as prime Mickey X because the problem wasn't that Mickey X is the worst player in the league. It's that he's not in his prime. That's the issue I have essentially with what coaches do. Is I don't think I think if I had to if you ask me which is a higher chance that next year with a totally different set of players so if it was a player that was affecting Mickey X's level or the environment a totally different set of environment the it's the question is which is more likely that he gets really good again and is like a top European player or this random person from ARL is as good as Mickey X right. You can argue if you want the latter that it's going to be the RL player. I'll take the fucking former all day long, mate. That's why if I, that's why the show proves it. I will take the Nuke Ducks of the world over the Checker Lads. I will take the Mickey X's over the fucking Mercers. I'll end. do that all day long. And the reason why I'll do it, Seal, is this. Because I actually think as a general pattern, I'll be wrong a few times. Like, every now and then, maybe I'll pick a player. Like, I'm trying to think who I would pick now who's like a bit washed. There's not really that many people in LEC at the moment, to be fair. Maybe some LCS players are a bit washed. Right? There'll be every now and then, yeah, there will be a player that doesn't come back and he has two or three bad splits. He drops off his shit. But the amount of times that the really great players think they're able to get back to, as you said earlier, I mean, you don't even think forms or you put them in a different team you give them a chance to improve work on their issues they can be a top player again right yeah i mean I, I, i'm <laughs> a sort of arguing against the other philosophy of people who just throw you away after one bad split you know no, I, I agree with that too because i think that mickey x is uh a kind of an exception kind of player right he's he's a generational player as well if you look at it from the support role the way he performed in g2 right for I also mean it more extreme in these cases. Like, yeah. Wonder Mickey X was some of the absolute best players ever from Europe. They're not yeah. just like, it wasn't just a good yeah. player. Yeah, I'm, I'm purposely picking the yeah. best possible one. I'm saying, like, in general, if you get like an, uh, the average middle of the pack LEC player, but, the, the chance of finding another someone else is actually quite high, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. If you flew us that way, I think that's fair. I mean, yes. the problem was that I thought that about Mickey, which is a little right. bit of a meme because, you know, Mickey is one of those players that were, was at the top for a long time. And if you hang around top players for that long, I mean, it's. You know, anyone in that lineup, in, in the 2019 lineup, I would say, um, would be good for a very long time, right? Should rub off very, a bit, really, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But, but that being said, um, if you are in a budget team, I actually think, the, the uh, to play devil's advocate, I actually think that's literally your job, right? For example, Australis, right? I mean, Yeah, but you I, never I think, have that... that, that, that option in a, in a budget team if you're but if you're a budget team then you don't like you're not picking between mickey x and you know whoever you're picking I between i mean how much know. how much do you think mickey's on because i think i think that you know like i can't talk about specific money stuff but i think that you know a, a, an org like astralis if they're if they're budgeting and they really decide that they want to they want to run for like top three or top four they can go for one player like one superstar player it is possible and they had a split where they were off right so if the, if the offer was good enough or big enough like why not Right. It's just that when you when you want to look at sustainability or when you want to look at for new talents, that's literally our job as coaches. So so I think my viewpoint is a little bit more yeah, skewed in the sense that it's no, not like, yeah, I'm not like an outsider being like, oh yeah, like uh, this guy's gonna be better. It's not like that. There's no absolutes and it's very, very hard to find someone like that. Oh, for sure. But but yeah. if you're a coach, you, you kinda have to take the gamble. And I think that was the case with Rika, you know, and Mad. Mm -hmm. Um Yeah, I I, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, that was our time. There's no more rogue time. There's no more time in general because time doesn't exist. It's just a concept in how humans linearly process their experience in life. The end.